I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your four hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We have a, uh, we've got four, we got three other hunks on the line tonight. So who do we have on the phone? We're going to start with Mr. Donnie Swink. Evening, gentlemen. Hi, Donnie. All recovered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Still licking some wounds from last week, but we'll get into that later, probably. Yeah. We also have on the call tonight, Mr. Tom Venata. Hello. Donnie gave me COVID. Even though yeah. I wasn't near him. <laughs> he I gave me it over the him. phone. Yeah. Wow. But I wouldn't the miss blame. tonight for the world. I, the I, blame I, goes around. I could have the bird flu and I, I wouldn't miss tonight for anything. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to like self-contain right now. <laughs> but we, we, we uh, kicked our coverage tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing we can definitely agree on, Tom. Mm-hmm. We also have on the phone tonight Mr. Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktails. Good evening, guys. Welcome. I'm very happy to be here tonight. Looking forward to this. I will say you hunks are looking mighty fine this evening. I think everyone has wow. a little bit of a glow about us because we have a, a guest that, you know, nor- normally I, we wouldn't expect to have be you know have the opportunity to talk to and you know i i guess we'll just kind of hop right into it because our guest tonight doesn't really need a ton of an introduction for anyone that has any level of experience in the musky world um but i will i'll give a, a little rundown and that basically we have our first hall of famer on the podcast uh, this is a National Freshwater Hall of Fame inductee. He is one of the original founders of the Muskie Hunter magazine. He is a well-known author, speaker, and guide in the muskie world. Uh, the proprietor, the originator of Joe Booker Outdoors and all the baits that go along with that name. He, I, we call him, I'd like to call him kind of the musky godfather because he's, he's, you know, really influenced so many people. And I know that our listeners are going to know exactly who we're talking about here. And that is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Joe Booker. Ellis, how are you? I'm so, I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. And uh, I appreciate the introduction. I, I'm not so, I'm not sure that I, uh, that I deserve all those accolades, but. Uh, oh, come on. You know, Oh, I've been in, you know, I guess maybe if you're in the business long enough and you keep pounding the pavement or throwing enough cast, things start to happen for you. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's, a, that's Go a good way to, that's a good way to start things off is like, Hey, you know, you, if you, if you throw enough casts in this business, you can, you can get somewhere, but you know, you, you started off. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I mean, how did you get started fishing, Joe? Can we before well, we before we yeah. ask this? Can we just all give Joe a standing ovation right now? I just, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right now. laughs> come on now, come on now. Uh, I, I gotta say, when Tom told me he was gonna get Joe Booker, I thought he was full of it. I, I can't believe this is happening. Good work, Tom boy. And it's the real Joe too, you know, Joe. I was a little worried up until the last minute. Maybe I didn't have the right Joe Booker, but it sounds like we have the real Joe Booker on the phone. It's it's me, fellas. It's me. <laughs> 
Oh gosh, that's funny. <clears throat> well, you know, I I don't know how uh, where to really start. I guess I've been fishing my entire life, and, and you know, it's I mean, when I was old enough to probably walk and talk, I had a fishing rod, and I was you know I I was fortunate enough to grow up on the lake. So, you know, what does a what does a kid do besides throw rocks and jump and jump in the water to go swimming? He uh, probably grabs a fishing rod, right? And so, mm-hmm. I was fishing from a very very early age and had great influences in my. My grandfather and my dad were both avid anglers, and uh, but neither one of them musky fished. And okay, so um, that so did you grow up in in northern Wisconsin? No, I grew up in southern Wisconsin. Okay, southeastern Wisconsin, a little town, you know, near Milwaukee, um, in, on on a on a couple little lakes down there, and you know, grew up and and really cut my teeth as a bass fisherman. And you know, as I've said many times, you probably you guys have probably heard it over time as I said, man, if you can learn the basic skills of bass fishing, it transforms it, you know, it, 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 it transforms in the musky world so well, because, you know, you have all these lure categories and all these different things you do bass fishing. You had a wire leader in figure eight and you're a musky angler, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you essentially how many bass fishermen run into muskies by accident. Right. Yep. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, and that's kind of how I got into muskies as I'm running, you know, I fished a couple of waters uh, close by and as well as on some vacations with my, with my grandfather and my dad where, you know, I'm bringing in a, a walleye or bringing in a pike or bringing in a bass or a bluegill or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, Jaws comes up and grabs a hold of it. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, I want to catch that. Exactly. And, yeah. And my grandfather and my dad didn't want anything to do with that because, you know, they came from a generation where um, you see it, you catch it, you eat it. You know, my dad's famous line is catch and release into the grease. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. The catch and release was not part of the vocabulary. But you got to understand those folks grew up in, you know, in the Depression and, mm-hmm. and uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a sustenance. Yeah. Food. It was, yeah, fish was food. And, and so. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, that also goes with, I mean, I don't know how far back and how much detail you guys want to get in, but, you know, I've been in the musky industry so long that I was in the musky industry when, first of all, muskies weren't popular. Um, right. And, and nothing was written about them. There were not musky magazines and musky sports shows and musky categories, really, even in a sporting goods store. You know, it, it, it was it, there. And, you know, when, when you caught a muskie, you killed it. You mm-hmm. ate it. You know, yeah, it was a different world, fellas. In fact, I go back far enough that I, I, where I was right on the tail end of when they actually shot muskies. I was, that, I was just <laughs> going to ask that. that question. I was, I was going to say, like, did you have any experience with people shooting muskies? Yes. Yes. In fact, when I first got in the guide business, you know, there was like two years when I first got in the guide business, um, where you know there was still was still legal to shoot them, and one of the one of the cool things is, and I know when I tell young young uh, anglers about this, they they, they it, it's hard to believe, but you would hear a shot in the distance, and you knew somebody <laughs> got one. I mean, what else? Cool. Why else are you hearing a gunshot? You know, in July or August, uh, out on the body of water here, you know, one single gunshot, and uh, you look over and you can see it came from a boat nearby, and you go, hey, that, those guys got a musket. <laughs> so, so I, I've, I remember reading stories about, you know, the reason for that being outlawed was so many guys were shooting holes in the bottom of their boat because <laughs> they, they'd bring the muskie in and they'd start shooting at it in the bottom of their boat. <laughs> I never saw that happen. Uh, I heard, I've heard the same stories. 
uh, and I don't doubt that it has happened a few times. And I don't doubt also that, uh, you know, guides and people in their excitement trying to get these, the, you know, catch a big fish or when they have one on the line and all their excitement that, you know, the gun was emptied, you know, as they're, uh, as they're, you know, battling this fish and they don't, don't get a strike. And I mean, don't get get the fish landed. In fact, I have one instant, uh, one, one great story for you guys in that regard. My first year of guiding, I was guiding an old banker. His name was Cy Stein. He's still remember, he's, he was in his late eighties. And, and I, here I am this young upstart and, um, I've had a lot of great experiences like that through, you know, that I could write about in, in, in books and maybe someday I'll do that, but you should, um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know what, that hopefully guys like you would spend that, you know, and I appreciate that, that you guys would, would enjoy reading something like this, but oh, yeah. here, here's, here's the short version. So, you know, uh, guides in the beginning, uh, you know, Cy Stein grew up where he bossed the guide around. You go here, you go there and do all. And when I started guiding, uh, I made it a point right away of saying, yeah, no matter what you do for a living, when you get in my boat, I'm the boss. And we're going to go do what I want to do. And that, so Cy, Cy Stein and I really didn't hit it off well in the beginning. Then, you know, he wanted to go do things different than I did. And make a long story short, <clears throat> about halfway through the day, he hooks a, he hooks a muskie on a spot, of course, that I picked, right? And uh, <laughs> and he's battling this fish. And, you know, as soon as the fish comes, the fish hit on a short line. As soon as the fish comes by the boat, I grab the landing net and I'm going to land him. And he goes, ah, 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 no, no, no. And I'm like, okay. And the fish takes off and he's fighting some more. He comes by the boat again. And, you know, how you see it even today, you know, everybody's in a big hurry to land these fish, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the fish comes by the boat again and I make, I, I get ready to swipe the fish. He goes, no, no, uh, uh and let the fish and this goes on and on and on and then the fish is finally just you know spent and he um you know the fish comes by it's laying on its side and i and i says you okay with me netting this fish on he goes yes and so i net the fish and i and you know i i sit down with Sai. you know is we're you know we got the fish safely and i says so what's the deal size and stuff and he's been fishing up in northern wisconsin for decades right he says that's the first fish I ever hooked that a guy let me let me fight without shooting it. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yep. As soon as I set the hook, he said, those guys just start firing. Oh, man. So you okay, just so, to feel one fight. Well, I think that that's a that brings up a great question. And that is back when you started, yes. what was expected of a musky guide? I mean, today we know what 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 is expected of a musky guide. I don't think it's the same as what it was back when you were kind of a trailblazer in this, in this industry, what was it like? I mean, what was expected of you? Well, you gotta, you gotta you try to envision fellas. I know it's hard with all the, all the fantastic tackle and stuff that's available and, and all the, you know, all the techniques and videos and, you know, you guys, the learning curve is completely different now, but you got to understand that in the beginning guides, first of all, most people that that vacation, for example, up in northern Wisconsin where I, I fished, didn't have a boat. And so they when they came up uh, go fishing, they hired guides. Okay, so like a, so so someone that owned a cabin, yeah, you know, they didn't have a boat, so they'd hire someone. Okay, well, that makes sense. I'm not saying I'm not saying that some of those folks didn't that own some cabins and stuff, but most people rented right cabins, and most of these people actually stayed at 
these what is what is less prevalent today still prevalent in Canada are these American plan style resorts. Oh yeah. So, so you know, you stay you 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 know you you get your cabin, then you have your two or three meals a day um, that are like a banquet style at at you know that's what's called American plan. So you all ate together and whatnot, and then those guys usually had were fairly wealthy um, families or whatever. But you know, guides like myself worked primarily out of these American planning resorts and in a lot of Canadian spots, it's still like that. You guys have probably experienced some of that uh, where you see, guides, you know, they're making a living working out of these kinds of kinds of lodges. Well, it was oh, commonplace. Yeah. It was commonplace, you know, back in, in Northern Wisconsin, when I first started guiding. And uh, like I said, like I said before, muskies weren't that popular. So what I ended up doing a lot was I take my clients walleye fishing, which was like, you know, it was meat. It was meat and potatoes. You know, it was catch and release into the grease, right? In fact, I cook shore lunches pretty much every day. <laughs> Can you believe that? Oh yeah, That's cool. yeah. Wow. And then after you know, after we limit out on walleyes, and I cook them a nice shore lunch. I say, well, guys, I said we can call it a day, or I can take you out for a few hours of musky fishing in the afternoon. Are you interested? And you know, yeah, you know, and most people. You know that that's all they could. That's all they could handle was a, a couple mm. hours. And that's a good time to ask them after you filled up their belly and they're all in. Yeah, right. Mood. They're already happy. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 <laughs> it's it's yep. not. It can't be all disappointment there. You know. <laughs> Joe, do you remember? I had this one in my phone. Do you remember how much it cost way back in the day for a day with Joe Booker, a guided 25, trip? Twenty-five bucks. Wow. 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 That's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm willing to bet if you brought that back for a week and did a special, you'd have a couple takers on that offer. <laughs> when I, when I first started guiding, I, I, it was $25 a day and gas was 29.9. Wow. Yeah. So what, what year, all right, Ryan, what year was Bill Gardner's time on the water written? I think it was 1980. Okay. So 1980, uh, you know, the, the, one of the quintessential musky musky reads, you know, time on the water, you are kind of a, you know, part of the cast of characters and you are, I, I would say kind of described as the man, you know, the young <laughs> up and coming guy that, that, you know, was, was young and hungry and was guiding every single day. And if there was a guy who knew what was happening and where it was happening on any of these lakes and in, in the, was it Villas or Vilas County? Vilas, yes, Vilas County, See? yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Vilas County. Um, you know, you were described more or less as kind of being the the young hotshot guy. You know, tell us a little bit about that. What was it like to see yourself? You know, talked about in a book. You know that I don't know. In such, it's, this is a musky fishing is a small, it's a small, you know, niche. So yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, you, if you think about it again, is is even when Bill Gardner wrote that book, you know. Musky fishing was just starting to gain some popularity, you know, and, and my writings even, you know, I, I struggled to get my writings in various magazines because, you know, there wasn't a musky magazine. Right. There, you know, uh, getting up, getting an article in a fishing facts, uh, a field and stream or an outdoor life was a real undertaking. And then, you know, most of the musky articles in those magazines were really watered down. Now, 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 you know, moving into the Bill Gardner thing, you know, Bill, uh, Bill was, was an, an outdoor, uh, outdoor writer, a writer, I think for one of the Chicago area newspapers or something, um, or Minneapolis. I can't remember exactly which one. But yeah. Anyways, I can't remember what it was. It was one of the, it was a major <laughs> yeah. city. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, 
I can tell you, I, I told Bill several, you know, Bill thought that, you know, the reason he had was hadn't caught a muskie was that he hadn't put enough time on the water. Right. And I used to, I used to constantly tell Bill it takes more than time on the water. I said, you know, guys with skill, um, with less time on the water are much more productive than guys who just put a bunch of time on the water, but don't know what to do, where to go, that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with, you know, Booker's Joe Booker's three things, you know, the three key things for success in, in musky fishing. Oh yeah. That's the number one thing is knowledge, knowledge of the fish, knowledge of the water. And so it, that I'm not talking about time now. I'm just talking about knowledge, right? So guides provide knowledge. And, and, I, and I, the second thing is, is skills. So you got to have knowledge. You got to have skills. And then the third thing, third thing is effort. And of course, you, can, you, you could call that time on the water. So you got knowledge, skills, effort. You take away one of those three and it doesn't work. And so they're, they're, to me, they're all vitally important, all equally important. And, um, it, it, you know, get, gaining, gaining that knowledge, improving your skills, and then putting the time in, you know, the guys that, the guys that really score big in, in, in anything, even, you know, in anything you do in life, uh, have the knowledge, have the skills and put in the time. And, and Bill, <laughs> Bill Gardner and I, <clears throat> You know, we were good friends. I took him fishing a couple times and, and I, you know, I tried to help him as much as I could, but, and Bill, Bill caught a few fish here and there, but you know, the big thing is, is that you got to have knowledge. You got to have skills in order for time on the water to produce. Am I making sense when they say that? I don't know. If uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone can go out there. And I think a lot of people have probably done it myself, all, all of us included is probably spent an entire day on the water fishing the wrong places and so that time on the water is really what is that time on the water it's it's right almost, almost meaningless at that point you know you have to have you have to have all the the, the building blocks to really make that time on the water count i mean look yeah. at starting out i think i spent a whole year fishing i don't think i saw a single muskie i was putting time on the water i had no idea what i was doing i was putting time wasn't catching anything that's precisely right. precisely and and so one of the things i did early in my guiding career fellas <clears throat> I made it a point to teach my, my clients skills. And that's where, you know, when I ended up writing and then when I ended up starting Muskie Hunter magazine and doing sports shows and seminars and eventually having my own television show and things that actually featured muskies uh, and doing videos and writing books and all stuff. I, the whole thing was the more you learn, you know, the luckier you're going to get at this thing. So I should teach my clients, you know, for example, you know, 50% of your fish are going to come out of figure eight if you do a good figure eight. And that always, that was always like a head scratcher to most inexperienced muskie anglers. But then after I had clients over years and years of fishing and they became really good at it, um, you know, they're figure eighting even when they're not casting. And, you know, so they understood, you know, they understood the value of that. So, it, you know, Tom, what you just said, you know, spending all that time in the water, not catching, catching anything, you know, knowledge and skills, it, mm -hmm. you, you got to have all three. And, yep. and, you know, that, and, and, and frankly, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, mm -hmm. those are things that develop over time. And, and, you know, 
and, and I, I'm still guilty of it, or I'm still, you know, really, uh, I never stop learning. Um, there's always one of those moments where I go, you know, right, where, where, where I discover something, even now, all these years later, and go, you got to be kidding me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how did I not figure this out, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago? And then, and I'm sure you guys run into those things too, where you go, the light mm-hmm. goes on and go, Oh, mm-hmm. no. oh man, yeah, that would have helped yeah. a few years back. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Donnie, well, you kind of oh, go ahead. Brian. I want to, I want to jump over to Donnie because I think he might have had something there. No, I, I did, but it got. I don't even remember what it was. Okay. We're good. All right, we're good. <laughs> I'm just listening well, to Joe. I know, and, <laughs> and and you hit on a couple of, of <laughs> at least one or two of my next questions, right? Right in that answer there, and that was. The Muskie Hunter magazine, and not just that, but, you know, how how your career, how did it progress to, hey, muskie fishing has gotten to a place where there might be a market for an, an all muskie publication. And I'm going to I'm going to put X amount of dollars on the line and I'm going to bet on muskies. Like, yep. when did that happen? It's it's you know, what's interesting is is. I almost, I have to say that me and maybe a couple other guys, but we almost force fed it at show sports shows uh, and, and to, uh, to editors at magazines and stuff where, you know, the few of us that were really, you know, into muskies and were passionate about me speaking personally, you know, I, I got to a point where when I would speak at a show, um, at, at a major sports show, you know, back, back in the day, those that, you know, before videos and, and YouTube and all, I mean, one of the big things was going to a, going to a sports show, you know, and, and, and seeing, you know, seeing fishing pros and seeing all the fishing gear it was a big thing. And, and, um, you know, when I was hired to, to do shows, part of my um, payment was to have a booth at the show. And at, <clears throat> at the show, I would book, book clients. And when I would go up and speak, you know, I spend in the beginning, I spent portion of my time talking about muskies. Once I became more well-known, I spent all my time talking about muskies. And eventually I realized that, you know, yeah, I went, you know what, the only way we're going to push this thing any further and really get people really involved in this thing. Um, well, it, uh, let, let me stop right there and say one other thing. My clientele started to change where, wow, I'm getting like 75, 80%. Now, you know, it's, it's moving in the 90 percentile that they're all, they all just want a musky fish. And so, you know, I'm in, I, 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 I'm, I am uh, recruiting at least my own group of guys that really are into this. And I had an overflow going with to, to some other friends who were guides who were like really getting into this thing. And I thought, you know, <clears throat> I remember saying to my wife once, this is, I could foresee a time where we'd have, uh, you know, a musky magazine, musky sports shows, musky mail order catalogs. And I, 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 I remember where I said it. My wife is sitting close by me right here. And she, you know, she heard me say it. And, I, and isn't that amazing that all those, that's awesome, did, man. They all came true. I didn't start all of them, uh, but I ended up, you know, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm at a show, I'm a sports show and I do a musky seminar and I, the place is packed, you know, and they're all, you know, these guys are all crazy about musky fishing. And the sports show promoter goes, I have no idea there was that many guys interested in musky fishing. 
<clears throat> and that sports show promoter said, you know, he says, we should do something about this. I said, hey, let's start a magazine together. And so the guy was promoting this, you know, there was the promoter of that sports show in central Wisconsin. He, he became my partner in starting Muskie Hunter magazine. And we put, you know, I spent, and what I did fellas is I just contacted all of my, my friends who were guides, chartered caps and said, Hey, and you know, all of us, none of us were writers, <laughs> but I, it didn't matter, you know, no. it, and we, we, you know, we were poor at taking photographs, you know, Polaroid photos were common, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but it was something. It was, yeah. And, and, you know, I was forced to be the first editor because, you know, I started the darn thing, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, so, yeah, it, but it was so cool because all of a sudden I had organized all of these guys from all over the country um, that were excited and passionate about their, their musky fishing in their area. You know, guys from out east, you know, where you guys are at, the Canadian guys, guys in, you know, obscure areas, which aren't obscure, nearly, nearly obscure anymore, got, you know, Kentucky and, and Tennessee and some of us are like, hey, man, you know, we must be fished down here too. I was like, really? You want to write about it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and the, you know, and, and, and fellas, that was a vehicle for these guys to promote their guide business. So, you know, what, you what year was that, that you, that, that musky hunter started? Uh, it's early nineties. Okay. Early nineties. Um, you know, and if you can imagine Earl prior to that, um, um, you know, I was doing, uh, feature musky articles uh on in in all these well-known bigger uh, regional and national publications and that's where it started for me but i always um i always requested of the editor that you put my my phone number and my address in there so i could promote the guide business absolutely um, yeah and so you know that's kind of how it started in fact even my lure company i was i was just making lures you know making a few lures um, you know, because just, 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 uh, you know, just doodling and, and messing around with lures and See, I, you're I made two steps ahead of me, Joe, like I'm, uh, we're two, you're two steps ahead of me. I'm, I was just about to go to, I'm just about to go and like, how did that go into the lure I, making? So yeah, I, this is perfect. Can I, can I ask a quick question before we go any further? Though? Yeah. I have one I, after I, Ryan too. I, I got Thank it you. now. I got it now. Okay. You guys know. I am like an absolute nut about time on the water. It's like one of my favorite books of all time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in there's a specific quote, and I'm going to tie this in. So there's a quote from Bill Gardner that said, Booker is so famous around here, you think he invented Boulder Junction. <laughs> okay. So, you know, reading this and like all the other quotes that he put in this book, like, I have this perception of, you know, what I believe that time frame was to live in. And now we're kind of talking through, you know, like where you were at as far as guiding into musky hunter. The question I have for you is like, did you feel any amount of pressure, you know, to not only like perform, you know, out on these trips or, you know, to start the magazine? Like what, what was that like for you? kind of living through that like initially and, and really being like a part of what I would consider like a musky movement, you know, more or less. Yeah. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because really, you know, a lot happened before the magazine, you know, the, the, there's, there's, there's 20 years in there before the magazine, you know, and, and, and that was, 
building that you know building that the, those building blocks of of, of this musky movement and and um you know in in and it, it kind of goes what i've been telling you all along is that you know it started with taking guys out after limiting out in walleyes and saying let's go for a couple hours and to you know building a clientele of musky anglers to you know all the sports shops you got to imagine too all you know catch it was catch and kill you know during that time and the big thing at sports shops fellas was to have a glass top on your freezer you had a display freezer and when when you know when when people <laughs> people pulled them to, i know it's it's it's, a, it's amazing <laughs> the big the big fish would, would come in people throw yeah. it under on the counter yeah no it would throw it in the freezer and it had a glass top and you you walk over the, even the, if even if the sports shop was closed you walk over and you could look in the freezer and see well you know what's the biggest fish that was caught it would be on display there <laughs> And, you know, and the sports shop guys, you know, wanted all wanted you to you know display your fish in their freezer and then they would promote products off of that, you know, and you can imagine it was li- very limited in products. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than you can even imagine, um, you know, I mean, right down to line and wire leaders. Oh, gosh, the tackle. We, you know, the tackle. You, you look at these some of these records from way back, even before my time that it's a it's 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 a miracle they landed some of those mm-hmm. giant fish because they, they just didn't have the tackle and quite honestly you know today's anglers spoiled with with super braid lines and and all the great tackle great leaders and all the, the electronics you know, not not oh, even to mention the, the electronics gosh oh, we're yeah, way man. spoiled yeah way spoiled. yeah imagine imagine okay imagine this fellas my first day of guiding i was one of the only i was the only guy I, was, I guided with, I think, 22 other guides for this great big corporation at this American Plan Lodge. I was the only guide with a trolling motor in my boat. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was, and I, and yeah, I'm assuming I, it wasn't Spotlock or a Tarova, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I was one of the, one of, you know, one of only a handful of guys that had sonar. So I had, you know, the green box. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how far back it goes, fellas. And, and most of these guys up there then, the famous guys were all, you know, they just, they, they knew where this weed bed was or that, that hump in the middle of the lake by rifle sighting and, and experience and stuff. But, you know, they didn't. Yeah. What kind of boat was this? Boat, the boat. Well, imagine the early days, you know, boats were designed for rowing because guides mm-hmm. were, were were rowboats were rowers and um and uh you know when i when i pulled into the parking lot that first day of guiding i'll never forget because you know guys the other guides you know i didn't only a couple guys even knew who i was gave me the dirtiest look because i had swivel seats oh (laughs) high roller yeah i had swivel (laughs) seats in the trolling motor and and, you know it's just it's kind of so i was kind of a uh a you know, a, a renegade or a trend breaker from day one. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, when you went musky fishing with these, you know, musky was truly the fish of 10,000 casts. And, you know, you had a black bucktail and a, a suic and maybe a, you know, a, a fluger globe, but that was it, you know, I mean, <laughs> so if you no, took, if you took clients out back then, yeah. are you fishing with them or are you, are you just, taking them around. I mean, I, I can't imagine you don't have like the big casting deck in the back of the boat. Like you do nope. today where your clients right. can be up front and you can be in the back. Like how, how did you do that stuff? Well, it, it you, you know, it, even today, fellas, um, 
Uh, you know, when I when I've advised guys who want to get in the guide business, say, hey, do not be a paid fisherman. If you're going to get in the guide business, you're being paid to guide. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But unfortunately, unfortunately, um, there are an awful lot of guys out there that stand on the deck and take the first throw at everything. Yeah. Um, and and that's just not right. I mean, you know, with, especially with now with today's, you know, uh, trolling motor technology where you can run remote uh, handheld units. You sit. I I I I would run the boat, um, like right. most guys did back then. Uh, I would fish when requested or asked to, and you know, um, quite often, fellas, I I'd hook a fish, hand the hand the rod to somebody to bring it in, and then they, you know, they'd be standing there posing with the fish and taking it home like it was you know it was their caught their catch. Really, but even ca- even ca- even a casting fish like you would oh, hand yeah. off the rod like yes. that. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. You didn't lose many fish in that handoff. I, I can imagine you, there, <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. there's slack that happens in a natural yeah. handoff. You know, there's yeah, slack yeah. happens and yeah. that's all it takes with a muskie is a little bit of slack and that thing's gone. Yeah. Imagine now imagine also that five foot, five and a half foot pool cues were like the norm. <laughs> right. You got no rod. You got no bend in the rod, you know. And yeah, it, no, it was, it was losing fish was a, was a big problem. And that was one of the other things, you know, one of the many things that I addressed in my um, career is addressing losses. It's so difficult. It was so difficult to get the, a hookup on these fish that, man, if we're going to hook up on these fish. We're going to catch it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, you know, I started working on lure designs and stuff like that. And that's, you know, that goes right into what we were, we were going to talk about, you know, about how I got the lure business. I was yeah. modifying lures. I was modifying lures. Mm-hmm. You know, so that they would uh, cast better, hook hook and hold fish better. And I designed the Booker tail. I didn't even name the lure, by the way. My, one of my clients did. You know, <clears throat> I made I took a multi-hooked treble hook. You know, it had a multi-treble hook uh, wire frame uh, with little trebles that you'd hook fish up with. You know, that was the concept back then was. The more trebles, the better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you get these fish, big fish on there, they'd shake off all the time. And I, I started shortening. I took a lure and I shortened it up and went with one big loose treble. And if you think about the Booker tail now, it's essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you yeah. know, that, that lure design became like, I mean, let's face it in, 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 in musky spinners, um, the most copied design, it, 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 you know, it or replicated design, whatever you want to call it, it's it's a norm now. You know, big treble hook, one yeah. big treble hook on a short oh, yeah. train, so that when you hook up with one of these fish, they stay hooked. And I was, you know, I modifying a lure after a fish, few fish were caught, twisting and bending and cutting. I came up with this this spinner that was a shorter version of something that already existed like a Skinner spoon kind of thing, you know, even all, all the old MEPS lures and stuff like that. And I said, you know, hey, hey, then I tied, you know, I, I tied, I tied them up in the boat. My wife was tying them on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my, one of my good clients said, Hey, give me one of those darn Booker tails. <laughs> I looked at him and went, the what? <laughs> and, and so, so he ends up catching a big fish on one of those baits. And of course, where does it end up in the freezer at the sports shop? Nice on display. <laughs> and he wants he he demands that the sports shop owner put 
the tag on it, you know, caught by Dr. Jensen. On, on a booker tail. On a booker tail. It's branding it branding at its finest. Yeah. So the sports staff owner like shrugs his shoulders. He goes, Hey, dude, he said, you know, we didn't say dude back then. Dude wasn't a popular thing. <laughs> anyway, hey, what's this booker tail thing? I can't I can't put that in without actually having some in the store to sell. Uh, and I went, uh oh. <laughs> so, you know, I then I employ my wife, my wonderful partner, you know, life partner, and she's tying bucktails on the kitchen table. And we end up sell, selling booker tails. And then the sports shop next door wanted some in the sports shop in the next town wanted some. And that's how the lure company started. And that started in the mid 70s. And it's easy to, I can tell you when that started because that was the same year my son was born. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it, it was officially started in 1978. I started building those lures in 76, 77. Um, but when my son was born in 1978, and that's when we, you know, that's when the first Booker tails were marketed. And, you know, my son is now 45 years old. 44. 43. Cause I'm 44 and I'm, I was born in 77. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 43. There you go. See my math is so, off, but yeah, it's, it's been over 40 years. Wow. And, and uh, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of how the whole lure, the lure thing started is kind of started like just modifying a lure and somebody called it a booker tail and the sports shop owner wanted it. <laughs> and so you're doing that. And so you, you, you kind of add that on top of your guiding business. You're like, yeah. okay, now I can kind of supplement this. I mean, obviously there's a limited guiding season for, for anything in Wisconsin. So, yes. you know, you've, you know, what, what were you doing? If you're a professional guide, you know, as a muskie fisherman, were you doing something else to supplement your income or? Yes. Yes. I was um, um, caretaking resorts. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm mowing lawns and running a chainsaw and, and, and fix it on, you know, plumbing, carpentry. You huh. So you, they had you doing it all. Yes. Yes. It, whatever it takes, you know, when you think about it, Tom, you know, um, you know, $25, $35 a day doesn't add up much, you know. And and no. so, you know, yeah, in fact, I, I became a really high cost guide when I was $50 a day. <clears throat> oh, um, wow. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 But so what about during the winter? Would you, yeah. would you, during you the winter, were you a hunting guide? I was a uh, ice fishing guide. Okay. And um, traveled, uh, traveled and did a big speaking circuit and supplemented heavy in the winter writing and speaking so writing for for the major fishing magazines and you got to understand too fellas i wrote a lot of articles on on lots of subjects that weren't muskies right you, you know, got to kind of diversify yeah kinda. yeah bass mm -hmm. and walleye in fact my first all my early writings were all on bass fishing i mm -hmm. first became i first actually and very few people know this but i actually became first well-known first as a bass fisherman I read that. I think they called you like the teenage bass and whiz, yes. if I remember. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, yes, I was a bad. And, and I rely on those skills. I relied on those skills even today. You know, it's just, I can constantly remind people that, you know, don't, you know, if you get on off season fish bass, you know, learn because it just improves your skills. So anyways, um, so think about I'm at a, I'm, I'm booking myself at as many sports shows as I can. And, you know, sports show promoters all talk to each other. So, you know, who you got lined up in, in this town? Oh, yeah, da, 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 in this booker kid, you know, and, you know, in Milwaukee, Chicago, 
um, you know, Des Moines, Minneapolis, you know, Detroit. I'm speaking at all these all these major cities, and then all the all the regional things. You know, so I'm busy every weekend at a at a seminar at a at a sports show at a seminar with a booth promoting my guide business. But now, guess what I'm doing? I'm selling Booker Tales. Booker nice. Tales. Mm-hmm. So so get this. I, yeah, so my wife is tying Booker Tales in the hotel room. <laughs> so because we're you know we go to the sports show and like holy cow we're selling these things left and right, and and uh, yeah so in fact we we'd actually go to a sports show with not enough money, you know to we'd barely be able to get a hotel room that night and then hope we would sell enough product that day to. Oh, Pay for the weekend. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Sad. I love it. Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that, you know, and, and, and lots of people can tell you stories like that in, in business and in life. But I, you know, I, I try to remind at least people and in, in, in even my, my friends and family that you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You got to start somewhere. Yes. And, and believe it or not, believe it or not, guys, I started very meager, very poor. Uh, when I first got in the guide business, uh, I got in an argument with my, I was in business with my dad. Um, um, and, and, and my dad and I got an argument one day and I, and I, I said, I'm out of here. And he says, well, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to move to Northern Wisconsin and start a guide business. He said, you'll starve. You'll be back in a year. Oh, wow. and, that, yeah, and that was all the incentive I needed. And guess who was my biggest fan at the end was yeah. my, fa- my father. But you know, yeah, he was right though. I did start. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen overnight. No, it did not. It took a long time. And, you know, even, even all the years we were, when we really got the lure company going and everything, all we, all my wife and I ended up doing was making sure that everybody else was paid and all our investment in, in products and everything in, in, in just raw product to build lures and stuff that ate up all our funds. So we really, you know, we just kept, you know, fun, funding the business and funding the business and funding the people that work for us. So we, you know, I, if I, I had to stay guiding and writing and doing these other things um, to pay, you know, to, to, to make sure that there was food on the table. Wow. Well, how did, how did you scale up from the Booker tail? Like what, I mean, you, I mean, obviously you have a, an, an incredible array, you know, some of the most famous baits of, you know, in the industry, such as the top raider, you know, the depth raider, the shallow raider, you name it, you know, that's, that's on top of the Booker tails and things like that. You know, how did, how did it progress? This is a, that's a great, great question because it really does tell a story that really hasn't been told much. Now think about what I've told you about where musky fishing was right in terms of interest and, mm-hmm. and selection of product all of the hard baits that were popular in the musky world were wood. Okay. There were zero plastic lures out there. And there were some, See, there were some, huh. yeah, there were some, Man, that, there that, was, that hits, that hits every, I said, like, did you start with wood? Or, yeah. I mean, did right. you start with wood or did you, did you, did you do like an initial carving with wood and say, I'm just, screw wood. I'm going to make plastic baits because of whatever advantage I see that they give them. Well, here's the thing is I used a few saltwater lures, musky fishing, as did probably a few other guides as well, um, and had some success with them. And they were, you know, saltwater game had gone to plastic quite a a while before that. And I thought, you know, barracuda, teep, musky, teep, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Muskies, 
biting on wooden lures, you know, chewing off the biting holes in them, chewing, ripping the screw eyes out of lures, all this kind of stuff. It was commonplace. And what would happen is, you know, some of my, 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 my most favorite lures, wooden lures, you know, they'd start to really, uh, you know, after scoring on a few fish with them, they'd fall apart. They get waterlogged, they sink, you know, they, they would stop performing. And so I started, you know, really toying with the idea of coming up with plastic, going to plastic. And so, you know, I, I had, I had developed quite the, quite the relationship with all kinds of different people over time at guide clients. Mm-hmm. And that included molders and, and painters and, you know, wire people, I mean, you name it, you know, in, in manufacturing people. And anyways, along the short of it is um, I started messing around. I had joined it, you know, like the jointed pikey minnow, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, great lure, wood. Uh, when they, when they, when, when, when Creechup did the plastic version of the pikey minnow, they did some things wrong in it and it didn't work that well. You know, it, it was durable, but it didn't wiggle like the wooden ones did. So, you know, that kind of gave, it kind of, that kind of, you know, set back the wooden, the wooden shift a little bit like on crankbait, for example, Bagley, Bagley lures, I remember Bagley lures made out of balsa wood. Uh, you guys are probably too, too young to remember, but you know, there was a time when Bagley crankbaits were like big in the musky world because they caught a lot of fish, but it was kind of like fish and soft plastics today. You knew that after you caught a couple of fish on those lures, they'd fall apart. Yeah. And uh, crane baits, beautiful lures, right? Mm-hmm. Fantastic action, built out of balsa wood. What happens to them? Not really built to last. Yeah. Right, great baits. You know, Bill Crane and those guys build wonderful lures. God bless them, but the stuff didn't last. So I'm thinking, okay, I could take a crane bait style lure and build it out of plastic with a built-in integral diving that make the diving the strongest part of the lure instead of the weakest part, mm-hmm. and Build it like a saltwater lure and voila, shallow raider. I could build, you know, a uh, pikey minnow that, that, you know, jointed pikey minnow that I caught so many fish on uh, slash Bagley slash, um, you know, all these different kinds of wooden lures and then hybridize the whole thing and make it like a, you know, a saltwater Cisco kid kind of a thing. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, how did but, you prototype these that's things? That's what I was gonna then. say because we're we're familiar now with how Allure's prototyped, and I yeah. imagine you're three D print, and yeah, you, can, not... you can you can rapid prototype things. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine yep. back then you could make a modification and go right back out on the lake and say, "Oh, okay, here's what we oh. need to modify." It took like a hell of a lot of steps to to re recode that. You are gonna laugh laugh when you hear this. You know how we built the, the first lures? Uh, that, uh, I had a dentist who was a really great customer, Brenda. And we built them out of dental acrylic. Huh. Yeah. The molds or the, like the physical baits? The like, molds and then the physical baits. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, the original, make make two or three lures out of these things. Um, so the first depth reader, for example, was was made out of dental acrylic. Huh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, they didn't behave like plastic at all. They sunk like a rock, but it kind of got us pointed in the right direction. And you know, I end up you know becoming really good friends with some mold, some some molding guys in Chicago. One in particular, this old guy, this old wonderful molder, his name was Joe Lando. And and uh, about that time, also, you know, <clears throat> I'm in the guiding pretty heavy, and and um, 
the senior vice president of Harley Davidson of manufacturing is one of my guy clients, Tom Gelb. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Multiple times. What's so funny is I could give you 10 names that are famous muskie guys now that all were guy clients of mine. You know, that that's wild. That, that most of you guys wouldn't even you wouldn't even you go, really? Yeah, Joe, Tom you're Gell. ahead of us again because I had yeah. that on my phone. We've heard yeah. we had we had uh the guru on a couple weeks ago and he told us that you have mentored quite a few names that we know. Right. Right. Well, but, but, we're, we're, yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want I want to swing. Donnie, Donnie, yes. Donnie raised yes. his hand. So I know Donnie uh, has something to say. Let, uh, what was your question? He said, he, ooh, 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 too. He, yeah. he mentioned the uh, the dental acrylic first depth raider. I just have to know, Joe, do you still have this bait? Yep. That's nice. Awesome. Wow. Oh, That's yeah. awesome. I've got, I've got I've, the, we built the early top raiders, the tailpiece out of dental acrylic. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so one one of my, you know, one of the guys that I just, you know, idolized in, in, in terms of musky fishing was Larry Dahlberg because of his, you know, his videos and his, his, you know, his openness about the fact that he tinkers with baits, yep. you know, he's, he was, he, and he wasn't shy about telling you how he tinkered with baits. And it really got me thinking like, oh man, you can really, you can really do a lot of things. But when you were doing that, that's like before anybody had any, you, you like, you wouldn't have had any guidance in doing that. There was no YouTube. No. There was yeah. No... Yep. And, 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 you know, building wooden prototypes up, we did that too. We built wooden prototypes out of lures and then, you know, said, okay, we got to make this work in plastic. And how do we do that? You know? And, uh, you know, knowing a lot of engineers, um, you know, it, I'd had a lot of help in design. You know, I would come up with a concept and, and I'd work with, uh, with some friends who were engineers and, and, and who were also guide clients, you know, and we, then we come up with an idea and then you tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. And sometimes, you know, on a rare occasion, you hit a home run right out of the, out of the blocks more often than not. You know, it was a it was a long process to get it to, to the you know to the right to the right stage where it became you know for example, there were like five really good prototype depth readers. They were all good. Deciding which one to actually build the mold out of, you know, it 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 was actually kind of a oh man, what a shame we can't do, you know, this version and this version and this version it was like three or four versions that had different styles of lips, different sizes, different angles that did different things. And they all caught fish, but, you know, to build that built-in integral lip that did everything, uh, you know, you have to, there, there are some um, compromises that have to be made along the way. And that, that, that happened too. So, you know, it's, it's uh, over the long haul, you know, it's, 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 it's worked really well, but um, you know, it's nice. It's also nice. Anybody that's that's you know had any success in this business at anything they do in life uh, has had has met good people and has had some help. And I would I would I would not be honest with you if I didn't say I had a lot of help. Mm -hmm. I had help. I had ideas, um, and you know they became better with with uh, you know you know just have a guy in the boat that's with. You know, did you ever think of doing this? For example, I thought you could class example. When I first designed the, the top reader, we got the top reader, you know, it's looking great. 
it's it's working pretty good, but we could not stop the darn thing from rolling. Mm. You know, if you put some speed on it, it would roll. And you know, no matter how much weight we put in the belly of that thing, is that I mean, we got a pregnant, you know, you got this this dipped pregnant style belly on this thing. Uh, the weight's sitting in the bottom, and you got a hook down there. This thing should not roll, but the torque of the tail would 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 pull, especially if there's any kind of weed or anything, the, the bait would roll. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you just happen to be having a coffee or something with 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 a with a a, uh, a guy who's going to be going fishing with me, who's an engineer. And he said, you know, that does that tail always rotate in the same direction? Yeah. I says, why don't you offset it? Ah. And yeah, so we said, you know, we taped a weight off center, threw it out, ran it behind an outboard at like five miles an hour. The darn thing wouldn't roll. Ah, Problem okay. solved, you know. And I did not, I did not come up with that. I mean, he 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 designed that part of it. Huh. yeah, that's awesome. You know, yeah. I'm I'm still hung up over here, like thinking about like the amount of baits that were available. You know, like '80s yeah. and even early '90s, like comparatively to today. And you like Joe, you were talking about taking like a suic or whatever, yep. and then you're making these bucktails, and like I just like transition immediately to like how many lures I take out on the boat, like on a given Saturday. <laughs> oh my take god, it from yeah. Green it's, so yeah, it's gross. Ridiculous. Yeah, it, it was gross. Like it, it was, it looked like you know the the musky shop threw up all over the deck when we were in Canada last <laughs> week. You know, it was like we had so much, so many baits, and we might have thrown, you know. A dozen tops. That kind of leads me, Joe. I want to back up just a touch. It seemed like at first you kind of had trouble getting people on board with the whole musky thing. And then out of nowhere, it seems like it just kind of took off, you know, and snowballed. And I, I was yep. wondering if you if you know the exact moment that happened or like what caused that change in attitude from like, we don't want anything to do with these fish to we need more lures for these fish. And, you know, yeah. we need better gear. And I think I think that. <clears throat> I think that uh, I don't know if there was a specific moment, but I think that once the magazine became available and all these guys were writing for it, I think that that, you know, um, it created a more awareness everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that um, I, 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 it's, I, I don't think Tommy was, was one thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was, it was kind of one of those things where you just go and, yeah. You're knocking on the door and you're knocking on the door. Yeah. More of a gradual kind of progression in the right about, about musky fish. Yeah. Going back to the beginning and the way it is today is the the aura and the legend of the big fish. Mm-hmm. So no matter who you were, no matter what, you know, when you pulled into town, you're talking about Boulder Junction, you pulled into Boulder Junction and you saw big musky hanging on the scale or see, you know, laying in the, in the ice box there. You're like, Whoa, <laughs> you know, or you see, you walk into a sports shop, you see all these mounts, you know, and today, you know, you just click on the Instagram and you see a bunch of them, right. But when you see those photos, you want to mm-hmm. be that guy or that gal, you know, Absolutely. that's posing with the big fish. And I think that in fresh water, you know, I know even in my early days of speaking and, and I just said, you know, there's just nothing else in fresh water that can compare to not only what it takes to catch muskies, but it's just the, the, the excitement, the knee shaking, jaw dropping. I can't believe that fish is swimming in that yeah. excitement that a muskie brings. Right. I well, mean, there's just it, nothing else. It, it, am I wrong in, in saying that at least at the time that Bill Gardner wrote time on the water, 
that the muskie, like the biggest muskies that they that you guys were catching were, I guess, I don't want to say small considered to what guys are used to catching today. But the numbers that he talks about in that book just are, I mean, I would say they, that they would seem to be small compared to what what we see mm-hmm. on the Internet. So you got, yeah, you got to You got to realize, too. And he's talking just about Bylas County, right? Right. Um, and and again, we're talking about we're just in the, we're, you know, that transitioning into the catch and release thing. Um, but a big thing back then was the weight of the fish, not the length. You know, mm-hmm. hey, he caught a 30 pounder. He got a 25 pounder. Nobody even talks about that anymore. Well, right? I assume they, they figured that out by taking them to the freezer and hooking them exactly. onto the scale. And, yeah. Yep. Yep. But um, uh, that was a big thing. It was, you know, it was, it was, you know, so-and-so got a, uh, got a, you know, got a 38 pounder two days ago, you know, out of North Twin Lake. It's like, wow. Nobody even said, well, how long was it? Or, you know, what was it? <laughs> no, it was like, I got a 38 pounder. Now there was also these, these musky contests, these annual musky, there were not tournaments. Uh, but there were these annual, you call them a tournament, call them, a, they were, there were contests, especially in the state of Wisconsin and in these counties, these famous counties in Wisconsin, Sawyer County, Bylas County, uh, they had these, these contests and, you know, the, who caught the biggest fish of the year, you know, they have a top 10 and that was always a big feature to be in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, one of my big things as a guide back then was to make sure I, I, I had a, a one or two fish in that top 10 of the Biles County Muskie Marathon every year. My best year was, I think I have six of the top 10. Wow. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and then when they had the catch and release division, you know, there was a catch and release division and a cap division. And I think eventually they, you know, they just wiped out the whole, the whole uh, catch or keep division, but it, it, that, things were different back then. So it was, he caught a 30 pounder. You know, it wasn't he caught a 50 incher. Now, speaking of which, you know, this 50 incher thing, um, it's kind of a shame that 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 happened because there's an awful lot of nice 48, 49 inch fish, really big. And one of my biggest guided fish um, in Wisconsin was 49 and three quarter inches, but weighed 40, <laughs> but weighed 44 pounds. Wow. Yeah, it was bigger. It was weighed more. And we kept, and it was kept, and it was the state champ that year, and the Bowers County Muscle Marathon champion. It out, it it outclassed three or four fish that were longer than it because of its weight. So back then, you know, the weight was the big thing, and I, I don't know if you guys you can can grasp that t- today, but that's the way it was. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean today thing. today you never hear about the weight because no. how many people how many people kill a fish? You know, not, right. not, nobody kills these fish. But back then that was completely normal. Like if you right. caught a fish of that size, like hell yeah, you were taking it to the to the uh you yes. know to the guy and putting it on ice, you yeah. know? Think the about only... this fellas. I'll tell you one here's think about this. When when catch and release in its infancy and then into when it started to become a little bit popular, especially with you know some of the 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 real aggressive guides like myself people didn't believe that you actually caught that fish because you put it back because you let it go yeah 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 Yeah. uh well that fish wasn't that big you know or you didn't even catch it or you know he just saying he caught that so that he he, he's got some kind of a score but you know where's the? you mean you couldn't just whip out your iphone and take a picture joe (laughs) exactly you weren't wearing a gopro yeah exactly we had none of that stuff 
Well, no, I think that's that 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 just blows my mind. The fact that I mean, I, th I think I understand too, because I mean, now we're so conscious of musky safety. I mean, how are you gonna unless you have a sling and a scale? Like, how are you gonna safely weigh and release a musky unless you're you know unless you're verifying it for a record or unless you're taking it to the bait shop? Tom, I think to be honest with you, anybody today that keeps one catches so much flack in social media mm -hmm. right um i don't it's not even it worth it it's not even worth it i've seen you know even some of my friends that have that have had fish die and we talked about tom gelb he tom gelb just caught you can't imagine how much flack he caught he and here's the guy's in his early 80s or whatever and he catches a 50 pound fish in violas county that he oh, battled wow. on a on five was like five above zero and the you know by the time he got the fish in it was badly hooked and you know it died and people went absolutely insane because he kept that fish and it, you know, I, I think it leads us to a point where i i don't know that the world record will ever be broken because i don't know that anybody will ever keep the fish to weigh it mm -hmm. right and and i think that's something that we have we have preached in our previous podcast just kind of as the the weekend warrior like we are not the guides out there like we we want people to respect you know obviously you respect the animal and your your desire is to put the fish back but you know you also have to understand that sometimes these if you're fishing for these fish it's sometimes fishing. they just don't live and mm -hmm. right. like you that, that doesn't mean that you you took a gun and, and shot the thing or you took a billy club to it you know that, that those things happen and you know and i think we talk about how much flack people get on social media for either you know a vertical hold of a fish or you know a, a you know anything that any minor infraction can just result in you being completely flamed online and yes. a dead fish is a is a dead giveaway yeah it it is fellas and it's really a shame because it's uh uh yeah it's it's if you watch if you if you check out my my youtube channel or even the last few years i was on broadcast television you'll notice that I never mentioned the length of my fish ever, uh, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and it drove some people crazy. Um, right. And it dry, it still drives people crazy. Um, you know, even when I fish with guys, they'll say, you know, I'll put the fish back. You know, Doug Wagner, who's a real popular guy today. Um, uh, oh, know, yeah. Another, another one of those guys that, you know, he started with me. Mm -hmm. You know, Jim Sarek started with me. Right. You guys know yeah, Jim and his we didn't, dad. We didn't know that until Tyler yeah. told us. Oh, that. Yeah. We were all oh, yeah. we were all amazed. Steve Herbeck. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh yeah, these guys were all guy clients of mine at one time. Absolutely. But Herbie and, too. And so, so any so any anyone that that watches any type of NFL football has always heard about these coaching trees. Yeah. You know where yeah. that you have the you have the Bill Parcells tree and you and and so I think of the Joe Booker tree of all of these musky anglers and, you know, uh, just accomplished, accomplished anglers in general, whether it's a journalist, a writer or, you know, a guide or someone who's gone on to do YouTube and, and guide like Doug Wegner, like you kind of have your fingerprints all over the musky industry. And I think that says so much to who you are mm -hmm. And your importance to this industry—that how many people you've positively influenced that have gone on the, onto their way to take what you've taught them 
and incorporated that into how they've become successful. So as a person who kind of enjoys, I enjoy watching how people kind of create their own businesses and handle themselves. And when I see someone who is as well-respected as you from the people who worked with you and had opportunities from you, I mean, it's, it's an incredible testament to what I think, you know, who you are as a, not just an angler, as a person, like all these guys that you've, you've, you know, taught, so to speak, everybody is just like this without, you know, without, without question, it's everyone just speaks highly of Joe Mm -hmm. and what Joe's done for them and the opportunities that Joe has given them. So I just want to say like, as a total outsider from the industry, we have no ties to the industry. Uh, just seeing the impact that you've had on the industry and the positive side of things. Like, I just want to say thank you to you. And and I mm. mean that like you've, you've like, you obviously are a huge, huge icon in this industry. You know what, fellas, it, it, it's really, you got to pass it on. Number one, mm-hmm. you got to, you guys, you yep. guys have through your podcast, you're going to do the same thing. You got to pass it on. Yep. And you know, I've got, I've got great grandkids now. You know, it's it's taking them fishing is a huge deal. And you got Mm -hmm. no matter what you're fishing for, passing it on. And you have to you, you know, I've always had the 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 older I get, the more I'm I'm conscious. This is first of all, it's only a fish. Mm -hmm. And no matter how good you think you are, um, staying humble is a big thing. And it's and it's only a fish. You know, and, and it doesn't make you any better as a person than the next person and how you treat that person and how, uh, you know, how you come across to other folks in the industry. I always think that, I, you know, all, all the people that are out there in the industry that are, that are growing superstars and, um, you know, including, including the braggarts as well as the people that are humble, I, for the most part, I just, I treat them all with respect because, you know, I know what it takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um I try to treat, uh, I always give, I give advice. You're talking about Tyler, you know, and my, one of my other protégés that's done really well, you guys should have him on, by the way, is Chas Martin. Oh yeah. Uh, Chaz he's Martin, on the radar, which, Joe. Yeah. yeah. Chas Martin. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's dynamite fellas. And, and he's a school teacher, wonderful kid. You know, I, I, I met Chas Martin at a sports show when he was just a tiny, you know, waist high to me. You know, Mr. Booker, someday I want to go fishing with you, you know. Uh, to, <laughs> that's to so, that's so awesome. Yeah. It, and, it, and it's, 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 I'm very proud of it and humbled by the whole experience, but it's a big responsibility as well. Um, and it, but at this point in my career, I'm just very proud that I was with those guys talking about measuring fish. You know, I was just talking about that Doug Wagner. I remember Doug was a cameraman, you know, was a cameraman for me for in a couple, uh, for a, a couple outings and, uh, and, you know, I'm battling this big fish and, uh, you know, and then, you know, when you're on TV and I, you know, I, I never measure them on TV anymore. Cause I don't want, Oh, that's not 50. That was 49. <laughs> I don't want to get into those discussions. I, I eliminate all of them by not even measure. Heck with yeah. But when somebody actually asks me, you know, well, how long is that fish? I'll say that is no longer than 53. It's no less than 52. And, I have yet anybody, you know what, and I'm just using, I'm paraphrasing here. I've yet to be wrong. You know, you've seen enough fish. You're pretty close at measuring them by eyeball. Yeah. And, and Doug, Doug and I, and, and, and Rich Belanger from St. Croix, we battled a big one, you know, that I chased all summer and we caught it. And um, you get so, you get so wrapped up in battling uh, and, and posing with the fish and doing all this TV stuff. 
I put him over the side of the boat and we're getting released. And, you know, Doug's got one of the over the side cameras and he looks up at me and whispers, says, you know, Joe, you never measured that fish. And I says, well, I guess it's too late now. And, boom, <laughs> it was and it was one of my bigger fish that I've ever caught. And, uh, you know, um, I, I actually threw that one out there and said, you know, so how big was it? You know, I let, I let everybody guess and there, you know, guess, guesstimates were all over the planet. And, um, but we don't know because I never measured it. How big do I think it was? It was right around 54 inches. I think that can keep it fun too. Cause I think a lot of guys, they'll be so excited about a fish. They'll throw it on the bump board. They'll see 49. And then suddenly like that memory's ruined for them because it's not as big as the one their buddy caught, you know, you absolutely nailed it. And that, that is why it, it, it goes back to what we were talking about even 20 minutes ago about Bill Gardner and, and, and Vilas County and, you know, how big were fish versus how big they are today. There's a lot of big 49 inch muskies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big one. And, and that's a big fish. That's a trophy. And I've caught a lot of big 49 inches that I know were 49, but I never, I never said they were 50 or I ever said they were 49 or 48, but I know they were, you know, in those high forties. And to me, they're, they were just awesome. And, and they were no less fish than some big skinny, big headed, you know, 20, 24 pound, 52, 52, 53 inch. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, uh, we had, we had a, a one of our, uh, a local guest we had long time on a long time ago by the name of Luke Woley. He, uh, he fishes in the, on the St. Lawrence a good bit. His biggest fish was like 57 and, and three quarters or something. <laughs> and he said that that fish is, was nowhere near the biggest fish that they've ever caught in, in terms of, of weight. Yeah. He said it was so skinny, it, you know, it, for a 57 and, you know, three quarters, whatever it was, yeah. it was by, by far not their biggest yeah. fish because the length just doesn't, doesn't do it justice. You can have a 53 that is, you know, a pig yeah. as opposed to a 57 that is slender. And I think I kind of get that feeling. I don't know how much you fish St. Clair. I think you kind of see some of that with the St. Clair fish, or I guess they get kind of the reputation of being those longer slender fish, as opposed to the kind of the Canadian shield fish that are, you know, the bigger bruisers, so to speak. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I guess that, you know, it just, it basically, you know, it, it goes right back to, you know, if these fish are a big tanky 49 incher is they're awesome. They're awesome. They're just every bit as, as, as much a trophy. And like Tom was saying, you put it on the bump board, you go, oh, mm-hmm. it's 49 and 15, 16. So yeah. it, right. it, didn't, it didn't hit 50. Darn, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got so uh, over that so long ago that when I get a big one, and, you know, even when guys say, hey, will you measure that? Will you measure that fish? And I says, I know how long it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to measure it. I'm definitely not going to measure it on TV, but I don't want to do all the extra handling. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that really, I don't even have a bump board in my boat. Huh. Oh yeah. No, I don't. That's cool. I don't. Yeah. I just don't have one. I mean, I have a, I have a, a, a measuring stick. I have a tape measure. Um, you know, if I ever ran into a situation that, you know, when I'm fishing with somebody else that catches one, they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ch- Chaz Martin, you were talking about Chaz, Chaz is biggest fish. When I netted it, I said, man, Chas, that is a monster, you know, and I finally got the net on her and he goes, well, how big, he's, he's the dude master, you know, dude, this, uh-huh. dude, that, 
He goes, don't take a picture of this dude. And I looked at it in the, in, you know, in the, in the landing net. And you, if you listen real closely, even on, you know, on, when I'm, you know, it's the, the episode's called Muskyzilla. And I said, that's 54. Right on the money. But tanky, thick 54. You know, it was wow. just everything about it. And uh, you think so, dude? You think so? And he <laughs> says, I got to measure. I just got to know. I said, dude, it's your fish. You do what you want. And he put the, he put the tape to it. He goes, well, I'll be damned. It is 54 inches. I, said, I told you. That's what it is. You know? And Chaz was doubting you. <laughs> but he just had to know, you know. And uh, But, I, you know, I, I love it. I just love it. But, uh, you know, it's... It, 40 there's a lot of there's a lot of big 49 to 3 and, and i'll tell you it also tells you how many when when the guy actually measures it and tells it's 49 and a half or 49 three quarter he's a pretty honest angler too right yeah. uh, right Absolutely. i forget the first time i saw someone posted like a 49 and three quarter and someone commented like the rarest muskie in the world <laughs> yeah, <pretty> you know <laughs> I mean, you get you get that in musky fishing. You know, everyone wants to to hit a certain benchmark. But I mean, guys like you that have been in the industry, you know, as long as you have, I mean, I I think we could understand how it isn't important to you the you know the length or. But I know a lot of our listeners, you know, who are uh, maybe maybe beginners, maybe you know you know middle of the road type of musky guys. You know, they're they're kind of trying to set goals for themselves. And in right. the way to set a goal in you don't set it by weight nowadays, you set it by yep. length. And so I, yep. I think that's why you get this obsession with, you know, yep. I'm, I bumped it and here's what it was, because that's yep. kind of how you prove yourself these days. Yep. Oh, and I get that. Yeah, I get that. I, you know, I get I completely get that. Um like I said, I've just been in the industry long enough to, 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 to know that there was a time when it was all about catching a 30 pounder. And, and, and sometimes those 30 pounders were like 46 inches long. Yeah. You know, and then another guy catch a 30 pounder that was 51 and a half. Mm-hmm. And he get beat out by a guy that had, had a 47 incher because it wasn't as heavy. Um, and nowadays it's all about length. So I get it. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm totally in favor. I'm a hundred percent totally in favor of all the catch and release. I, I mean, no matter what the species, you know, guy, I caught, I, I've been fishing the Mississippi river over here in Western Wisconsin and, and I'm on a virtually untapped big pike fishery. And um, a guy, uh, you know, saw a picture of me with a big pike on, on Facebook. He says, man, like this is, that were me. I had to have that thing flayed up and doing this. <laughs> no. I says, you know, I, I like, I like eating fish as much as the next guy, but those, when those pike hit 40 inches, they're going, back. they're special. Yeah. They're special. Yeah. 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 That's a big pike. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, you kind of alluded here. I mean, I don't want to get too far off topic or get too far ahead of ourselves, but you've been in the game for a very long time and you've seen a lot of things change, like both for the good and for the bad. So I'm wondering if you can think of one thing that you think is a great change and one thing that you think is a bad change being in like musky fishing for this long. I think that um, the greatest thing that happened to musky fishing um, was catch and release. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of saving because because of the huge increase in the amount of participation i don't know that the, i don't i don't think these fish would, would have survived i don't the resource wouldn't have survived without catch and release 
Um, I, but at the same time, getting away from just the fish, um, the improvement in tackle is, is, you know, is another, you know, holy moly. Um, you know, that the, what's available today at every, at every aspect of, of fishing muskies from line to leader to rods and reels to electronics to, you know, lure designs and, and, and even hooks. And it, it's just so much better than, you know, than it was the landing nets and, and, and of course, electronics. Oh, absolutely. Big game changer to a point now, to a point, Tom, where it's, it's almost, you know, with these new, uh, uh, oh, yeah. you know, these panoptic style. Seeing solar, a lot of disagreements and issues. Well, there. yeah. And, you know, and, and I saw that, you know, I'm a big, uh, you guys probably know, maybe you don't, that I'm a big white, uh, white tail, uh, mm-hmm. bow, a bow hunter for white, for trophy white tails. And I saw the same thing happen. You know, I've seen the same thing happen to a point uh, in, in white tails with, with the, uh, trail cams and, and and to a point with cell phone trail cams where guys sitting at home and they just get a they get a cell phone image of a buck and he's sitting in a certain spot and go oh gee you know now, now it's time to go hunting well yeah. you know the 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 records keeping authorities in the hunting world have already addressed that and said hey we got to put a you know we got to put a wall somewhere on this technology thing so we we have some integrity of fair chase here and and there's you you guys are now I, I i never thought we'd see this because you just can't foresee this in the future but in the world of fishing you know sonar's gotten so sophisticated that you're able to actually spot you know look at you know, a guy can sit there in the front of the boat and just move around a sonar and go oh there's one sitting in the open water over there and cast cast here cast here cast here until you know um it's it's taken it's it's is it, has it taken the fair chase out of the sport i i haven't i haven't done it so i don't know but uh, mm-hmm. i'm thinking i'm thinking you guys are in your lifetime you who knows what's going to happen with that with i noticed that uh musky tournaments uh, the, the you know the the pmtt is already outlawed right uh, yeah because so, uh, you know that and that it, that was a big deal because you know, the the one team that won the PMTT really hammered everybody. But, you know, it, on the next day, they didn't do any really that much better than the next uh, than the next yeah. folks. So yeah. it's kind of the question of if you know, I think if you know exactly where the fish are, something like a live scope or something like that is incredibly advantageous but if you don't if you like are just looking for fish i don't know that that type of you know live scope technology is going to really help you but it can certainly help you if you know where the fish are you know uh, to answer the rest of tom's question um i think you you were alluding to you know what what do i see, see as the best things that have happened and what do i see the worst things that have happened mm-hmm. um i think i think i think that um Social media beating up on on anglers, this negative. It's not that human nature. You know what I'm saying, though. It's it's like I think that's taken a lot away from the sport. I don't mm-hmm. think it's good. I don't think there's anything good about it. Um, I think that we should. You know, I've always had this attitude that, you know, I'm no better than the next guy, and 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 uh, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes, um, and you know we're all out there trying to enjoy the sport. And I, I, when I heard Tyler's 
um, interview with you guys. It was such a breath of fresh air to hear you guys um, and your attitudes as young anglers. I, I was just like, wow, I want to help promote what That's you guys awesome. do. Well, because we, we need you guys um, that this is the kind of attitude we need in the sport. This is, you know, this is what we need in the sport. Uh, we don't need, we don't need any more big egos. We don't mm, need, them. right. We don't need them. I, I, it doesn't matter who, you know, if you can throw a football better than somebody, you can catch a bigger muskie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you can throw, throw a, you know, a baseball further or hit a ball better than the next guy or run faster. It doesn't make you any better person than the next person. And mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't give you a license to beat up on anybody. And, um, it's not, you know, I, I hate to see that part of it, Tom, and I don't want to belabor it anymore, but I, I don't like that part of the sport. Oh, I understand completely. That's yeah. especially coming from a time where that wasn't a thing and seeing how toxic, you know, that can be. I mean, oh, it's, it's not that it didn't occur, Tom, you know, the human nature, yeah. you know, that, but it not even. Not, I not mean, with such ease, not being able to pick up your phone and. Yeah so rude to someone yeah. or and now people yeah. people that have a platform that don't actually have knowledge can right. like have a voice you know yeah. you can you can just be a loud voice on social media and not actually know what the heck you're talking about you know mm-hmm. and it's Amen. like really what you know what are you what are you doing just yelling at people on social media about things like you know who are you who are you who is your what is your opinion to be you know valued where as a guy like you joe or some of these other guys like you know that have obviously cre- obvious credit credentials for this stuff i'll tell you another thing that i think is is that needs to be addressed by your generation is um just on the water etiquette Mm -hmm. Uh, as as boats got you know i again when i told you when i first started fishing i first started guiding you know I was the first guy with a trolling motor in my boat and and that you know in the uh you know uh, it, it was like you know, it, it, it was really different. It was simple, but you know, there was an etiquette. Uh, if you saw a guy in a spot fishing a spot, you leave, give that guy, let him finish on the spot. Mm-hmm. You go fish somewhere else. Now I'm out fishing. I was out fishing on the river the other day and some guy wanted to get to where he's going. So does he idle by me? No, he's, you know, he's 15, 20 feet from my boat going 40 miles an hour. Uh. You know, yeah, and, yeah, he's got the hammer down and he's like, I got, I got me a big boat and that gives me a license to behave like this. Um, seeing musky anglers and musky anglers are not immune to this at all. I and mean, it isn't just musky anglers. It is not just musky anglers. Mm-hmm. It's everybody, uh, including pontoon boat people. You know? <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I had a guy the other day and I, I he and his wife, they're, they're just, they, they were, they're were almost cute. You know, they just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm fishing a shoreline and the guy wants to go between me and the shoreline. And I look, it's, you can tell he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And I just, I just weighed my hands in there and I, you know, I pushed my hand like go the other way. Yeah. And then he went, he went like, you know, then he was like, Oh, Gee, you know, he put his hands up like I, I just I just didn't know any better. Mm. Well, you know, it's it's something that um it just wasn't like that years ago, fellas. It wasn't like that. And I see it, I see musky anglers. A guy gets set up on a drift, he's fishing the spot, you know, guy with a bigger, fancier boat, more often than pulls up in front of him, cuts him off, yeah. two cast lengths, cuts him off and starts fishing. It's like, hey, 
wait a minute here. Did you see right. me here? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, I stopped fishing some of these lakes, um, you know, in, in Wisconsin and in Minnesota and whatever, because, because of that, because it's like, they're good waters. It's just that I didn't want to put up with it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to be confrontational with these people. So it's like, I'm going somewhere else. Right. It's not worth it. Now, do you so think that answers your question, Tom, kind of absolutely a larger scale, but yeah, that I think, I think that, you know, a constantly, I don't know how you deal with it, but <clears throat> to close the chapter on that, I think it's, it's a boating etiquette is a big issue, mm-hmm. especially with power boats. And it isn't just fishermen. I mean, it's just, you know, jet skiers and water skiers and pleasure boaters. And, oh my gosh. But my wife and hey, my, my wife and I are, you know, we spend our winters in Florida um, there's a creek in the winter where I catch redfish and speckled trout. And I'm talking this, you can cast across this creek, right? And we're in there and, and, and all of a sudden these spring breakers are water skiing in that creek. Oh no. Yeah. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Your, you peaceful, your peaceful sanctuary now is spring yeah. break. Yeah. yeah. In no wake zones. It's like, okay. Because you know, oh, man. yeah. Yeah. It's okay, Joe. You can tell us. Did you did you chuck an empty beer bottle at them? <laughs> uh, I, I did not. I did not. Top you know, I, you know it, I guess I've gotten to the point where I just I just get out of their way and shake my head and go. Mm-hmm. You it's know, not it, worth it. Right. It's the Let's, best way. And, and you know what, fellas? You never know today how somebody like that will react, right? And exactly. See, yeah. 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 So you're better off just saying, hey, I'm going to go fish somewhere else. Now, how much Absolutely. do you think is just like a general ignorance versus people like, oh, that's Joe Booker. I want to go follow him, you know, like it's ignorance. Yeah, yeah, uh, just a general most ignorance. Of people, yeah, it's 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 almost never it's ne- almost never us. Hey, that's Joe. And I'm going to cut him off or just go talk to him. Yeah. Actually, you know, for the most part, I mean, even um, when I do run into folks I know on the water, it's it's almost always a, a totally positive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's all. It's all about handshakes and talking to each other, and and there's a great camaraderie and, and, and respect there. Um, I no, I don't. It, it, the only thing I've ever run into, uh, you know, my last few years of guiding and my f- last few years of filming TV, real heavy in northern Wisconsin waters, is is just being left alone so that I could actually film or or guide somebody <laughs> without somebody coming up and saying, "Hey, Joe, where are you biting today?" You know. Uh, oh man. Yeah, but you know, God bless them. I mean, uh, you know, and for the most part, I try to help help anglers. I, I don't hold back much, you know, when, when it comes to trying to help people mm-hmm. get on fish because um, it's it, it in the big picture of things, it's it's in my best interest to to make to make to make sure they're successful. That's really cool. I actually have two. If I have the floor, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw two at Joe. Yes. Uh, my first one is we were talking about electronics there a little bit, Joe, and and you know how far they've come, and obviously you've been around since basically the beginning of that. But I have to think at that same time with all the experience you have uh, on the waters, especially that I'm sure you fish primarily. Uh, how dependent are you still at this point in your career? on electronics like on any given day when you're going out fishing or you know are you is are these spots just are you just going to places where you know that you're going and and because you've caught fish there for 40 50 years whatever it is or are you still out you know searching and and looking for bait and using these high-end electronics to find 
where you're fishing? Well, I can tell you that I, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't use some of the new new like I don't use the the, um, the panoptic style stuff at all, but I use side imaging and all. I you know I use modern electronic gear and I and I'm learning things from it all the time, even on waters that I thought I knew well. Um, but I will tell you this: for the most part, um, when I when I sit down with with a, a, a classic friend of mine. Who we're not we're not we're great fishing friends. He doesn't musky fish that much. He does everything else, and on any given day, um, he spends. He's such an electronics geek. His head is drunk all the time, and it kills his instincts <clears throat> to visually see the wind change, see cloud cover move in, see bait fish in, in an area. Um, it kills his skill level and his and his intuition level, and I think that just building on that, Donnie, is is the even hunting. You know, the skills it takes to hunt big whitetails. It's all about what's the wind. You know, what's uh, you know when when do the thermals do this and when you know it's it's <clears throat> it's just understanding more about what your surroundings, understanding your surroundings. And having good skills, I'll put it this way. And in fact, I Tyler Tyler can Tyler Anders can verify this. Um, I had a boat that didn't get delivered in, until mid July one year. Uh, my friend who builds these boats, it takes a while for him to get things done sometimes. <laughs> and and and, uh, and God bless him, you know, he's doing it all himself. <clears throat> and so I had uh, I, I was fishing with out of Tyler's boat with no sonar equipment. And, you know, Tyler at first was, <clears throat> was, was like freaking out. I was like, you know, how are we going to get this? Nice? I says, I will prove to you <clears throat> that we can catch as many fish as we've always caught with no sonars, just relying on, on skills and knowledge of these waters. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to, we're going to be as successful as, 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 as ever. And we were, and we were, and I, I know Tyler would verify that. And if he's listening to the podcast, you know, he'll, he'll be letting you guys know that this, this will is a, be. Yeah, it, it is a true statement. Uh, and it didn't just happen one day. We did this for a month, month and a half mm-hmm. um, until until my boat arrived and I had electronics. Um, so I re- still rely mostly on knowledge and skills. And there's that other thing. It's 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 instincts. It's mm-hmm. some people call it a sixth sense, but it's instincts. It's, uh, you know you know when is that spot that you caught here's the thing one of the things that i've done over time and i've written about this a lot is that when you score big on a muskie so we're you guys are the muskie hunks right <laughs> you could say right? that. yeah you guys are the muskie hunks so if you think, think that we are <laughs> well think about this fellas here's something i always i do it with every single fish i do it with all my friends that i fish with I said, when, when after the after the high fives, the fish is released, and you know, we're at, it's it's the day is over, and even on the water while we're while we're getting things ready to go for the next thing, okay, give me five common denominators of what happened here on this fish mm-hmm. that didn't happen the rest of the day and didn't happen on the same spot we have fished ever before. Uh, what happened on this specific day? And if you do that and you write those things down, even on the 
on the caption on your photos, you know, even on your, you know, you got a photo library on your phones that, that you can, you can, you can slide it up and you can caption all your photos, right? If you put down as much information about that fish and that day as you can in that incident. And then when that, when similar factors align themselves again, mm-hmm. and I'm talking seasonally, you know, I'm talking cosmically with moon and sun and, and wind direction and cloud cover and all, water temperature, write all those things down. Many things you can think of. When you see those things line up again, you go, oh, I need to get to so-and-so spot. Mm-hmm. More often than not, you score again. You score again because yeah. you you lined up all those things. And that electronics cannot teach you that. Those are, you know, those are instinctive. And at the same time, they're taking your skills and, you know, and, 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 and aligning as many good things as you can to, to, to get in your favor. To, to, it's like, it's like, they think about it, you know, I don't know how many uh, you guys are football fans, but you think of these the, the handful of great quarterbacks out there, they pull up the line of scrimmage, they've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, and they go, all right, okay, there's the defense, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay, this is what I'm going to call and it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's that's why that's where I'm going with this. And no, electronics cannot teach you that. Well, I draw parallels too, because when I first started, like I know a lot of people learned a musky fish out of a boat and I didn't like I learned bank yank. And when you're doing that, you obviously don't have the electronics. And I remember I watched a video of yours a long time ago where you gave those tips saying to like keep real, like be really analytical and keep good records. So I started using the Coast Guard app on my phone to check like water temperature and pH and oxygen because I was I was fishing from the bank. I didn't you know, I didn't have waypoints or anything like that. Right, and even doing that, that that that's like how I learned to musky fish. I, I started forming these patterns, and then I went back next year when the water was the same temperature and like the pH and the oxygen and all that, and it worked. Exactly that's, that's how I learned exactly. to draw patterns. And exactly, and I'll tell you what, Tom, it, it, it fellas, it's the same thing on 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 and asking the hard question. Okay, why didn't why didn't we score? Mm-hmm. Think about that. Okay, why? This spot is produced a couple. Okay, this spot has produced several fifty inches, right? Why? Why is it? Why doesn't it produce? What's going on here when it doesn't produce? Which is the majority of the time, you know. You right. pull in these spots, you go, "Where is he? Where is he? Where is he?" And he doesn't show up. And they, you do it again. You do it again. You do it again. And then all of a sudden, one time you go there, it clicks. You get a big fish, or you see a big one, and you go, "Okay, what's different now?" Mm-hmm. so so you know that that's that 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 is the instinct thing you got you know you got to only a few guys have that and no electronics will give you that mm-hmm. there are a lot of you know different factors that can go into you know when you hit a spot you know the weather the time of day the you know the moon phase how much does the moon phase factor into your fishing and and i guess a two-part question when you were guiding where you are on the water all day did the moon phase change your um kind of strategy fishing Yeah. yeah as opposed to today where if you're going to go out and film and you are saying hey i only have so many hours mm-hmm. does the moon affect your decisions in that sense not only the moon but the solar influence okay not only the moon but the solar influence you know 
Uh, and again, it, it depends, you know, in the spring, for example, the solar influence is as big a thing as the moon because, you know, it, mornings are tend to be cold and afternoons tend, you know, the sun has been up and it, you can see the light, everything turn, comes to life and it, the solar influence has a big, has, is a big influence as well. Talking about moon, um, I don't know how much you guys are aware of, but, you know, I was probably the first one to really write about the moon and muskies. And it, it happened when I started doing evening guide trips back in the early eighties, uh, when I had running a tackle business, running the magazine, you know, doing all these different things. I have so many jobs um, that I just took people out in the evenings. <clears throat> um, and then I, I, I would go out and then all of a sudden, you know, I'd get a, I would, I would get, we'd get, we'd catch one muskie. Um, and this happened several times where I catch one muskie and then all of a sudden, you know, what's different, you know, and you'd see, all of a sudden you see the moon coming up and I started, Hey, could there be something to this moon? So I started watching moon, not moon overhead, moon underfoot so much as I, and I followed those salooner tables for years with not that much, not, not killer success, but moonrise and moonset. I noticed you know, sunrise, sunset, moonrise, moonset. And I I was always on the sunrise, sunset thing with all kinds of species of fish that I fish for. But I stumbled kind of on this musky thing and started to watch it. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the data, by the way, that I accumulated was after the fact. Again, what happened to trigger this musky? After the fish was caught and released, what's, you know, you sit down and think for a few minutes or while you're making your next cast or whatever, and then going over, going over that evening and for the next couple of days and for you know, that winter, you know, what was going on when, when you caught that big fish? And boy, I tell you a lot of those big fish, I spotted a, a correlation between moonrise, especially these midday, mm -hmm. you know, the, an average day, there's no weather change. There's nothing, there's nothing else going on. It's like, how come this fish, this fish showed up in the middle of the day when there's nothing else going on? And, oh, they have a lunar there, event right in the middle. There, there was yeah. a, exactly. So that, you know, that led me to do Joe Booker's moon secrets, which was a big part of our, our magazine for years, you know, and it still is. And it's, and it's also part of our musky 360 app. Well, I think that's kind of accepted now, but when you kind of had this idea that people react like, are you, oh, Joe's insane. He, like, yeah. there's nothing, <laughs> were they accepting wrote, of it? I, yeah. Or? yeah, I think those first few articles I wrote on it, um, I don't, I thought they, you know, I thought it was a crackpot or whatever, but I started, <laughs> I started telling people, guide clients, you know, like, well, you know, <clears throat> what time are we going on? I said, well, we're not going out until, um, I'll pick you up around seven thirty, but I says we're gonna catch. We're probably gonna catch our. Fish. In fact, I I showed Steve Hiding. You guys know Steve Hiding. Mm -hmm. If you look at, we don't know uh, him personally. I know. Yeah, well, it, I know the name. Book, <laughs> yeah. If you if you read his book, that you know, one of his first books, he I forget the name of the book, but it was, it 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 talks about, it 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 you know verbatim, me saying you know you're gonna catch a fish between this time and this time, uh, because that's when the moon is going to rise. Or set, I forget which, you know, I think it was a moon, moonrise. <clears throat> and sure enough, you know, we caught several, several muskies. And at that time, I think Steve caught his biggest fish with me. Uh, he's since then caught a lot, a lot of big fish. Uh, but he was all, he was the editor of, of, a, of a, of a outdoor uh, newspaper at that time. 
And uh, he heard me writing about this moon stuff, and I, I proved it to him on the water. But I used to do it with my clients all the time. I said, hey, we're going to fish the next – we're going to fish for five hours. <clears throat> and uh, But we're probably we're probably going to catch our fish between this time and this time. And you go, how do you know that? I said, well, <clears throat> I'm going to put you on a great spot right as the moon is about to rise, or right as the moon is about to set. And what I was doing there too, fellas, is, yeah, to answer your question that you asked earlier is, you know, did you plan your strategy around? Absolutely. I want to be on the best spot during that time because, you know, all factors, everything else being equal, that gives me one extra card to play that I know I'm on a good spot. I know I'm going to have a moon influence. What's it going to do to my night or my day of my day of fishing? Um, if I, if I have one, one single chance at, at a muskie that day on an average on a poor day a post cold front you know it's probably going to come on a moon phase uh, you know or or sunrise or sunset and when they when sunrise um and and moonset or or sunset and moonrise they when they coincide it usually is a double whammy yeah this is like super interesting i mean i've i know all of us have watched your videos joe and read many many articles you know it's just really interesting like hearing you talk about it more or less not in person but you know through through the call it's just like man it brings it alive to me that's really cool i have uh, i have two quick questions and i know owen has one that's like really important that we want to get to mm -hmm. and we want to we want to be cognizant of your time here so I got a fun question that I'm going to steal from Tom's list first. And then I have a really serious question for you, if that's okay. Sure. First question is, we, we got to know, what what is the preferred musky boat snack of one Joe Booger? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Oh, oh no, nothing. Just keep, you do it. Just keep casting. Oh, no. <laughs> grind is... it out, grind it out, grind it out. Don't eat anything. This is amazing. You, don't, you don't even years. have the Dick Pearson, the Dick Pearson, where you have your wife feeding you sandwiches so you can keep casting. <laughs> I just no, I would just grind it out, you know, from dawn to dusk with no, with not with no food, no nothing. I mean, that's just the way I was for years. Now that being said. As, as, as kind of a chuckle, okay? Um, in later years when we did full musky guide trips and no long, I no longer cooked shore lunches or took people at walleye fishing, mm -hmm. um, people who bought, people furnished the lunches, right? Oh. And people who bought the best lunches, they got they got on the preferred list. No, so you know, oh, did I nice. did I get soft in my old age there? Probably, you know. I, I don't or know. smart, smarter, <laughs> well, soft. You know what? That's... I was <laughs> right. Take, yeah, I was forced to take lunch breaks with guide clients, especially you know people that they needed a break. You need a, you need a potty break, and they need you know they needed a break. Um, right. So <clears throat> we you know we had we had you know we we do this we do the sandwich thing, and then you know hey I figured if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have a have a break. Well then, you know, the be the better the lunch. And I noticed Doug Wagner's the same way, by the way. He I noticed he mentioned something the other day about he goes, you know, people bring me the best lunches, get you know, they get the best guide trips. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, I can tell you, you know, when I'm on a grinder trip, uh, you ask Chaz and ask Tyler. I mean, you know, I, I I'm in my late sixties here and and you know, sometimes Ch Chaz will, you know, he'll look at me and go, 
dude, I can't believe you can still <laughs> just stand up there and just grind on it. Yeah, Joe, we've know? heard from multiple people that you're, I guess, an ox when it comes to fishing, that nobody is going to outcast you. Or babe babe you. the blue ox. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I, 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 maybe it's just a, 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 a German, a stubborn German persistence in yeah. it. I don't know what it is, but I, I do know that, um, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes it's just that one cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I generally, here's what I generally do on a trip, you know, uh, with Tyler and Chaz and any of the guys I fish with, um, is we eat as we're moving from spot to spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we munch, uh, when we're moving from spot to spot. So there's no pull up into a bay and, you know, sit back and have a nice lunch and, you know, and, uh, you know, eventually <laughs> miss a fish. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, we, we're eating as we're going from spot to spot. Um, and when I'm on a grinder, a, a grinder trip with, 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 you know, with, with a serious muskie angler, it's usually, you know, eat on the run and keep, keep pounding. When you say a grinder trip like that, like what type of, are you going to Canada or are you doing a trip like this in Northern Wisconsin? Both. Both. Okay. Yep. In Michigan and in, in Northern Minnesota. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. When I must, when I'm on a musky trip. Um, I'm yeah. Really like a, a hardcore person. trip. Yeah. When I'm on a musky trip, um, really, I mean, I fish really different than I do for any other species. All the other species, I don't take, I don't, I don't go at that level. Um, uh, when I'm on a musky trip, it is like, you know, get in the boat. It, oh yeah. I mean, we have a goal to accomplish and you know, the big thing too is, as we know, fellows with muskies is like, you know, we're lucky to get one chance. Now on a good day, you're going to get multiple chances. Hopefully on those special days, you'll, you, you may get more, but you know, more often than not, it comes down to one throw. Mm-hmm. one throw you go from zero to hero in one cast yep yeah and and Man, and, this, and beyond this that, is kind of dovetailing right into uh, right into uh, the next question right no, go uh, ahead yeah. joe continue go ahead I, no i'm just saying you it's happened to me so many times where you know a trip turns around a season turns around um you know a, it's a it's a grand slam homer it's a it's a it's you know it's a long bomb throw it's it's like one cast makes a season and and uh, you can go from zero to hero in the musky world just by casting and, and which cast is that going to be i don't right. know and i love that moment too because up to that moment there's so much frustration and anger yes. and exhaustion and then you love that moment you, when it happens yeah you're reminded <laughs> how about when it do doesn't it? happen yeah but you're reminded why you do it like when that fish hits you the sure net you're are. like i remember why i suffered for this yep you're absolutely right fellas and and, and uh and again, that's why I say, you know, you know, and at the same time, fellas, savor every moment, every fish, you know, it, it, people get so hung up on, it's got to be 50 and it's got to be this and it's got to be that and, and set those goals. That's all good, but enjoy every victory. Every muskie's a victory. Enjoy every one of them and savor the moment and um, learn as much as you can from every one of those fish. And it's just, every one of them will make you a better angler. Yeah, this is like, I I absolutely love this stuff. I mean, this, Joe, like, I can't, I think all of us, you know, on this call, just really, truly appreciate your approach to the sport of muskie fishing and really just appreciate the humbleness, the kindness that you show to people 
and just through the years, like the content and the tips and the tricks, and you've always approached it from this professional angle and just, you know, be just able to deliver and really just make such a huge impact in the community. And you're having a huge impact on us as fishermen, the guys that get, you know, one day a month to get out there and fish for muskies. And, you know, these young kids that are coming up in the sport and, you know, trying to go out and catch their first fish. And there's lots of people that we've talked to even here in the state of PA that they want to catch their first muskie. And I think, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of the information you put out helps many, many people, you know, obtain that type of a goal and really find a love that they, they may never have thought they've had. Like, I know we can speak for us here, like muskies is a huge part of our lives now. And it's just, it's, it's a love and a passion. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask before we, I handed it over to Owen for like one of the final questions, uh, you know, with all of that stuff said, and the impact that you've had on, you know, us and many other anglers, one of the things I wanted to ask you, we kind of touched on this social media thing and, and really kind of like this dark side of social media. You know, one of the things that I'm very curious, and, and if this is something you can't answer, that's completely fine as well. You know, I would, I would love to hear your opinion on how we can collectively you know, a group of people can collectively change this culture that we're seeing on social media and in the muskie community. How can we change that to make it a more positive, not necessarily family friendly type, but to where we can get to a point where we're celebrating these fish, you know, even, even a 30 inch fish or a 38 inch fish, or, you know, just whatever it is, how we can celebrate these fish and collectively turn it around into more positive so there's less negative do you do you have any thoughts on that oh i you guys are doing it you're you're that's why that's why i agreed to be on your podcast because i i noticed you guys have that attitude and you you have to just make it a point to to never change um enjoy enjoy this like i said enjoy every every step of this of this learning process enjoy every fish you catch uh, appreciate every single one of them. Appreciate your fellow anglers and your, you know, you guys, you guys are doing it. But with, with, with your, your whole attitude of your podcast is, is 100% the double thumbs up. This is, this, this is the kind of stuff we need in the business. And uh, I, it's, it, yeah, I'm Thank excited. I'm, no, I'm, world, I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm very excited. This is the way I, this is the way I bought up my son and my grandson <clears throat> it's uh you know it's it's just one of those things that you you treat people the way you want to be treated mm-hmm. um, absolutely treat people the way you want to be treated behave in a manner you guys are public figures in with your podcast behave in a manner that's respectful and uh, not only respectful of the fish but respectful of the other anglers mm-hmm. you right. have you have listeners of all different ages age groups and experiences and you have to respect all of that and take mm-hmm. the time, you know, when you guys do uh, personal appearances at shows and whatever, it's just like, boy, never let your ego get in the way of, of, of helping somebody. And, and it'll always, all, all that kind of stuff will come back positively to you. And anytime you, and nobody's perfect and me included, you know, there'll be those times where something just doesn't, doesn't work and doesn't click. But if you just try to focus on staying humble, um, 
appreciating every every fish, appreciating every experience, and learn as much as you can. But never forget, never forget. It's all about knowledge, skills, and effort. You know, when it comes to catching these fish, and there 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 are no, there really aren't any real shortcuts to that. You take away one of those three, and and you're going to teaching people now. You know, more knowledge, more and talking about how to improve their skill level, and then encouraging them to get out there and, and, and practice what uh, what you guys are preaching. I think you'll be successful, but we need more people like you, like you you guys, you guys have got it. And I was, I'm very excited and proud to be part of your podcast. And I just hope, um, I hope you guys keep doing it. I hope you're very successful and um, I'm proud of you guys. Well, thanks. Man, uh, that, man, man, man that's just, man. Yo, seriously, man, that, 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 that is, that means a, a ton. And, you know, the guys have kind of referred to that. I have a final question for you. And I think actually you've, you've kind of led up to everything. We've kind of gone right as planned and you kind of are right on what we've been talking about and what we've been trying to get to here. And like, I, okay. So I have one final question and I think it's something that a lot of our listeners, we, 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 we think that we think that a lot of them are, are more on the beginner end of things. We don't consider ourselves experts. We are completely, you know, here to learn. And one of the things that as a, as an, a, uh, uh, a musky angler there's a lot of expense that goes into becoming a musky angler like how you ramp up to certain levels like you know you might you might take a weekend to go fishing or you might have a boat and you know you have to outfit the entire boat and you know there there are all these different levels that you kind of reach when it comes to musky fishing and one of the levels that i kind of look at in musky fishing is when you decide to take like an entire week of your life and go to wherever it is you choose to go, whether it's Lake of the Woods or, or Northwest uh, Wisconsin or Northern Minnesota or, you know, wherever. If you say to yourself, okay, I have a goal in mind. Like I'm not going here to hang out with my family. Like I can do that anytime. Like I, I'm not going to the beach to, to, to spend half the time with my kids and play golf half the time. Like, no, I am literally going on a musky trip. Like we've, like you were talking about where you eat on the water, you know, you, like you're, you're not going out to dinner. So when you reach that level and you decide to start putting that type of effort into it and you feel like you're getting some success and you feel like you have a little bit of knowledge and you go and you do a trip like that and you get completely skunked. I mean, six days. I, I just did six days on Lake Nipissing, and we're, I'm not going to get into the details of it because we, we plan on having a whole podcast on, uh, on, on, on that whole thing. But Nick, who's the, the one hunk who's missing here tonight, Nick and I went up there for an entire week. We spent six days on the water Donnie and uh and and his boss slash our friend Kellen came up and he they they fished for three full three days and all of us to a man skunked. Been there. 
and it's like and it's it's like it is so you 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 have you have to have the positive musky attitude and you have to have like oh i i know this is how muskies are but i'm not gonna lie like it it stings and it makes you wonder like why do i do this why did i take a week away from my family to to go and bash my head against the wall so to speak like give me give me a little bit of godfatherly advice so to speak on like how how do i get, how do you, you know, cope how do with i deal that? with this how do i cope with this yeah you know you know we all have to lick our wounds from trips like that um, yeah and, and i've been there i've been there you know and you know guys who fish i mean you know they they'll they'll fully they'll fully tell you that boy if booker doesn't have a fish after three days he, he gets ugly <laughs> Oh, you know? God. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And you, you know, I, it's, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, I can tell you this. Um, sometimes we try to make things too complicated. And this, mm-hmm. and, and in this age, it's worse uh, with all the tackle, all the lure selections that are out there, all, you know, it's just, it complicates things. And I, Quite often I get people that, you know, the it, it's, I, I make fun of it. First of all, I say, you know, there's two sports. One is collecting fishing tackle. Mm-hmm. And the right. other one is actually catching, catching fish. Mm-hmm. Learning to use all that tackle. Yeah. All of us are good at the collect, collecting fishing tackle part. All of us are good. Some of us are even better depending upon our, our, you know, our, <clears throat> our uh, budget. But, uh, you know, I've seen guys got the, you know, they got, a dozen of the best rods and reels and, and they've got these gigantic boxes in the back of their boat loaded with there's so many lures they, they could outfit an entire tournament and still <laughs> they wouldn't fish with the same lure all those guys in one in five years um one of the things i try to do especially when i'm really struggling um is i try to i try to sit really dial in simplicity you know i go to you know in the football analogy uh you know i just go to a handful of plays that i know work mm-hmm. that have worked for me and that means a handful right. of lures um i i i don't start emptying the tackle box i do just the opposite i go to what's my what's my favorite go-to lure what's my second favorite go-to lure maybe i'll have maybe two or three of those lures and there's there's they're they're tied on and they stay on on those tough trips and um see we we ran into a situation where the the day we arrived saturday mm-hmm. yep. was by far the fishiest day i mean there was a little bit of wind there was a little bit of chop to the water everything after that got sunnier and calmer and hotter yeah. the entire week I've never been in Canada and never had a weather event. There was not one storm. There was not one big push of any type of pressure for six straight days. We fished in a rising sky, like a a rising barometric pressure. I mean, it was just, I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. I'll tell you, I've had those trips, you know, and, and tactics are different than those kind of trips and opportunities are few and very few and far between. And that's where, you know, again, what I mean by, by, by being simple too, is like, you know, we talked about moon phases and stuff like that and sunrise and sunset and moonrise and moonset, you know, going to 
a spot that you fish if, if you if you're familiar with the water and you've had success on certain spots you make sure that you're on those spots during those little cosmic changes because on, on trips like that that's all you got right you know on trips like that that's all you got you got little your window is one cast your window is mm-hmm. you know a sunset a, a moonrise um a little gust of wind or whatever it is um you you just and then that doesn't guarantee you're going to be successful but you're going to get if you do all those things right maybe there's no guarantees but maybe you'll get one chance because you put yourself in as best possible situations you could. And again, that is in my, in my world, that's keeping things real simple and dives into, I'm going to fish my best spot or two with my best, my the bait that's produced on this spot before I'm going to be on that spot on moonrise. Or I'm going to be on that spot on sunset. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it still doesn't guarantee any success. It doesn't. Um, I will, I will not sugarcoat it, you know, and that's, and that's, those are grinder trips. Those are grinder trips. There's no doubt about it. And I, you know, that's what I would do that. I'm not guaranteeing it that would make a difference, but that's how I have. If you, even if you visit my YouTube channel after we're done here and you see the, you know, some of those grinder trips where I caught one, uh, one fish, you know, it was a dead, you're talking about dead calm days. You know, that's when I rely heavily. Right. On, on gliders and, and you know and, and jerk baits and stuff like that and um, it's but the, but you know again there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we we I swear I, I feel like we tried it all. We tried jerk baits, gliders. Nick was throwing the Conklin glider, the glitch glider, quite a bit. You know we we tried everything, but it was just one of those things. Like you know I I have three kids and you take. It, I, I run my own business and so I don't I don't get to take a lot of time off. And when you when you do take a week of your time and say, hey, hey, I'm gonna chase this stupid fish. <laughs> and maybe it's really my fault for deciding to spend my leisure time chasing this stupid fish, right? I mean, you could say that's my fault for doing it, but you know, I guess it, it's just it can be frustrating and to to hear from a guy like you that it happens, it happens. and that you just you just kind of got to fish through yep. it. You, and, and you got to, you got to pick up the pieces from trips like that and shrug your shoulders and go, you know, I guess I need some time off from this and I got to re, you know, reassess where I fish. Maybe that lake isn't for you. Um, um, you know, when I fish, what time of the year I fish it. Um, right. You know, those are things you can, you can, you can look, look back on and reassess when you go and what you, and where you go. Um, but and again, I, it goes right back to what I was saying earlier that, hey, those trips when you don't catch a fish or those those days or those trips, you just go, you got to look at them and go, OK, what happened here? Mm-hmm. You know, what happened? What happened? And and right. sometimes, you know what? I've told everybody I've ever fished with, including countless guide customers. I've told Chaz and Tyler and Jimmy Sarek and all these guys, you know, over the years. And remember this. God doesn't give every, you're not going to get an A day. Not every day is an A day. Mm-hmm. There's not every day is an A day in life. Some days are A days, but a lot more days are B or C days. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite honestly, a lot of days are D good days. Good point. Right? Yeah. And a few of them are F days. Yep. Um, and and it, it, it's, just, it's just the way life is. And, and um, 
it's just, you know, you just have to pick up the pieces from that and, and say, okay, you know, what am I going to do different the next time? You yep. know, and, 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 um, again, there's no guarantees, you know, you go on that same trip next year and you got all kinds of weather events and maybe you had, everything's different, <clears throat> but there's no guarantees, but right. you know, that's the way I would approach it. But the, not every trip is an A trip. Not every day is an A day. That's really cool. I appreciate that. It's an optimistic outlook. I just, this, uh, when Joe, when you mentioned taking a little bit of a break, does that include maybe playing a little guitar, a little blues music? A little <laughs> fest, well, you, yeah, that was, that was, that was my last set of questions was how did Joe become the blues master? Well, I can tell you guys, um, I've been playing guitar as long as I've been fishing. Huh. Oh, yeah. It's wow. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh no, there he is. Yeah. Always has one. <laughs> yeah, so you know. Oh man. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so yeah, no, I've been playing uh, playing guitar for as long as I've been fishing almost. Um I got back in really back into it for the tv i i i i played professionally for for years uh, especially through college and stuff i played professionally uh, taught guitar professionally um i started playing uh when you're producing television and even youtube videos and whatnot you have to pay for music mm -hmm. music use and so you know when i'm early in my my television career my uh one of my editors said <clears throat> you know you know joe instead of buying all this music you know and paying these ascap and bmi fees and stuff is i know you play why don't you get some of your your, your fellow musicians together and cut your own stuff and i thought gee where's we should try that and so we tried <laughs> it and now it's it's been a big signature of my show for a long time and um you know it's it's part of the signature of my show it's part of the signature of what i do um and um you know, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it, and and it, it's jazz, blues. Um, you know, I grew up in the in the you know the the 60s, 70s rock era, so I played everything from Black Sabbath to you know <laughs> Purple to uh, all the all the great blues guys. To you know, I'm a big fan of all the all the modern contemporary jazz, and and um, you know, I, I actually believe it or not, I make I make more money on my music. Than they do oh. on the video. For example, when you play one of my songs, really, uh, one of my one of my videos, yeah, all the music in there is mine. So um, it gets it's monitored, you know, computer wise. There's a there's a company that monitors it, and and if enough people watch it or listen to it, um, I get compensated for it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so you know, it's another way for me to to pay the grocery bill. That's neat. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> This is amazing. So, yeah, I thought I'd throw a little good. Bonnie, go ahead. For you guys should be saying goodbye. Oh, <laughs> I love hey, it. Like, oh my goodness, you just oh my god, you just made our day like our entire night. This my is last, awesome. And let me my last question, Joe. Uh, is it more difficult to musky fish or play the guitar in front of a crowd? Way more difficult to musky fish. <laughs> yeah, that was... me, yeah, playing the guitar, you know, it's Playing guitar for me is like riding a bike, and when I play in front of a big crowd, it's just I'm energized by it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a totally 100 uh, percent positive experience that's coupled with the emotion of playing it uh, and then and, and teaming up with a bunch of really good musicians and, and creating some great music and stuff. It's like, oh, man, it doesn't get any better. This musky fishing. It's just it's just a grinder. You know, uh-huh. it's just a grinder. Um, you know, we get to um, it's very much like hunting big bucks. You know, there's all these things that go into planning and 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 the hunt and musky fish same ways it's a grind it's a hunt and then you get to pose with the with a fish for a few seconds take a few pictures he goes back and then the thing starts over again right yeah that's pretty much it (laughs) yeah yeah so you know it's it's uh they're they're they don't even compare you know music to me music to me it's it's uh it's a totally um creative and wonderful experience <clears throat> and and for me you know once you learn all these things over the years it's like riding a bike um and the way i was the way i learned guitar is um is by spontaneous um uh you know it playing and i didn't i don't i don't really read i can but i don't read music so it's all improvisation okay. so i can oh. just jump up on stage and play with anybody um you just you know just give me a few give me a few uh bars to know where you're at when what you know what you're playing and then I'll, i can jump right in and play with anybody anywhere anytime and, and i do you know um it's it's that's been fun you know I, I guess you could that part you can jump in anybody's boat and go musky fishing too but you know the, the musky fishing it's just a physical and mental grind and with yeah that one little spot where you get success you know the way i hunt whitetails when i hunt these big bucks guys it's 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 hunt and hunt and prepare and scout and hunt and prepare and scout and sit and, you know, nothing happens and nothing happens. And then you have five, two to five minutes where, mm-hmm. you know, all heck breaks loose and that big bucks in front of you. Um, and, you know, it's over. And then it all starts, you know, you take a few photos and, and then you call the taxidermist and you start it all over again. Yep. Well, there's a quote out there that I read a long time ago, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was something like musky fishing is like hours and days of monotony all for 40 seconds of excitement. It's so true. It's so true. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, uh, as we wrap things up here, you think about, you know, pretty much a lot of things about muskies are overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then again, there's a lot of things about muskies that are underrated. The, the the you know what you just uh, what you guys go through what you went through on on a, on a tough trip mm-hmm. that just that just tells you you know these fish this the, the when they when they don't want to bite that's another thing these are cold blooded creatures they don't want to bite they're not going to bite yep they're not going to it's just you know it's just conditions are just they are what they are um and and that's why you have got to it goes back to what I said, you've got to appreciate uh, every single victory you get. Mm-hmm. Because when you get those victories, you know, just cherish them and enjoy them. You get, you get a big fish or, a, or you catch any muskie, you know, appreciate everything about it um, and, and then put it back. Right. We tell our it, listeners to appreciate it, be respectful of it. Like, yep. you know, you got to learn how to handle it. We're not telling people to, to mishandle fish, but, yep. but be, but you know, celebrate it. You know, That's right. if you want to take pictures with it, get it out of the water very briefly, handle it correctly and get it back yes. in the water. There is nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yep. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> love it man <laughs> well fellas we've, been, we've gone over two hours yep. I, I hope like Dave, you guys yeah we've gone over two hours we can't believe you've given us we can't believe you've, you've graced us with two plus hours of your time Joe I mean, unreal, and this Joe. has been absolutely this has been absolute enjoyment from beginning to end man mm-hmm. pass I it on s- fellas pass on your great do. attitude Pass on the great attitude you guys have and and uh, don't change what you're doing. Just keep getting more viewership and, and keep telling people your story because you got a good story to tell. That's awesome. Thank Thanks, you, Joe. That's what we want to do, man. That's what we want to do. I just wanted to say when I was growing, I mentioned him a couple podcasts ago, my neighbor who was kind of my grandpa, he kind of got me into fishing. And I remember being young, we would pick almost every day. Who do we want to watch today? Are we going to watch Bill Dance, Houston, Parker, or Booker? And this is, this is when I was like in diapers, just out of diapers. I had no idea what you were talking about, but I loved it. I loved all the fishing and now all these years later, just getting to talk to you. I mean, that's just, it's an honor. It's, it's all, it's just an absolute honor, Joe. The honor's all mine, Tom. I appreciate you guys spending time with me. And, and uh, again, keep passing it on and keep, keep, keep the message alive because you guys got a good message. Well, thank you. Thanks, thank Joe. You. Thanks for thank everything. Thank you, Joe. Have you a great night, man. Thanks. Take all care. the best. I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play.